Hey, welcome to the 194th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and the comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we just wrapped up the 12-issue miniseries, The Vision and the Scarlet Witch from 1985-1986. So you can hear all of that. And um, I'm still, I need, I need to figure this out like ASAP, but there is like a West Coast Avengers annual that's kind of like the day after, spoiler, the birth of, you know, when Wanda and Vision have kids. <laughs> and uh, I, I may do that or we'll see. So there's, so it's comic book talk, sometimes movie talk. So you'll you have to listen and find out. So, but if you can't uh, commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. And it's it's deeply appreciated if you are willing and able to support the show. As far as this show, um, I went made it. I went to the theater. I went to the theater just for for all of you. I wanted to uh, the, the new Saw movie Spiral from the Book of Saw came out. So I was like, well, I, I kind of would like to talk about it with for you guys, to you guys. That sounds weird. And so I, yeah, I'll talk more about that, the whole experience uh, later. So you can hear about that. Um, you can also hear about all of Jupiter's Legacy Season 1. That was going to be the feature, but then um, I was like, oh, Spiral is out this week. So you can hear about uh, Jupiter's Legacy I won't go, I, I don't think, I'm, I'm not going to go like super heavy into like every single episode. I think I'll go heavy into spoilers, like bit, you know, blow by blow with the first few um, episodes, maybe like first four, maybe five, maybe four. And then uh, just kind of like an overview, but I don't want to spoil the end because it's it's really good and, and you should you should watch the show. And then you can hear more about uh, The Bad Batch, the next episode, The Flash, uh, Legends Tomorrow, Cruel Summer, Mirror of Easttown, The Nevers comic books and the news so what we have for news uh the suicide squad is officially going to be rated r and i don't know if there's any any doubt or with that but okay that that's fine and you know you know how i feel about r-rated stuff you know is it necessary is it whatever and i i'm at the point where you know it doesn't affect me obviously i can go see it i'm just it's unfortunate for younger viewers even like, you know, a 15-year-old or 16-year-old, and yeah, they can kind of sneak in or maybe they can buy a ticket or, you know, depending how strict the theater is or whatever. But I just look at, okay, why is it rated R? You know, if, if it's violence, okay. If it's profanity, whatever. If it's uh, sexual situations, you know, so with all the stuff you have to ask yourself, does that extra shot of a head getting blown up or something like that, does that, you know, make or break? And and sometimes, you know, I, I like obviously I just went and saw spiral which is super gruesome and it's definitely an r-rated movie so it's not like i'm against it but i just feel like when it's comic related it just it doesn't make sense to exclude anyone who's interested and i'm not saying it like if, if a five-year-old is interested you know you should appeal to them but i'm just saying when we need consumers in the comic industry and and for theaters 
that now you're saying, sorry, you can't go unless you can find someone to take you. But whatever, you know, I, also the fact my, my daughter's old enough, so she wants to see it, she can see it. And that was always my selfish concern before, but I still feel like, I, I don't feel it's necessary, but I'm not going to be opposed to it. I guess I should mention this. So Gail Gadot, she, um, she had a little bit to say about Joss Whedon, and she confirmed that he threatened her career. And, you know, she said, I had, well, what she said on, a, I think it was like an Israeli TV interview or something like that. It was really weird that it didn't come out wider or somewhere else because, you know, all that Ray Fisher stuff is, <laughs> it was like every week, you know, he's, he's saying something is going on. And, you know, she kind of said the same thing where, you know, there is something and she dealt with it. And she kind of goes, you know, she mentions that again. She said, I had my issues with Joss and I handled it. I took care of it on the spot. So that right there kind of, I almost feel like, is that saying something against Ray Fisher? Because he had you know such problems, and I don't know how he dealt with it on the spot. Did he say anything at that point, or did he just grit his teeth and like, because, you know, that's this thing, you know, if someone's in charge of this, you know, I've thankfully never been in a situation where I've had an extremely horrible boss, like, get in my face or whatever like that. I've had horrible bosses, obviously. It just... I, I just wanted you know what did he say and and yeah there's a whole thing where he supposed you know he didn't want to say booyah there was that you know that came out right away but he did I don't know anyway so so you know Gail Gadot said she she took care of it right away and I was she in a different position than Ray Fisher you know Gail Gadot has more movies under her belt that I know of and you know I I don't know. So it's, and, and then, you know, of, of course he has to comment about this, but I just, I don't feel it's the same situation, obviously, because obviously with, with, with Gal, it wasn't a racial issue. And, you know, Ray Fisher's main thing is, is maybe it's not, I mean, a lot of it seemed to be like racism, like, you know, racist behavior and, and stuff like that. But then, you know, there has been like some horrible behavior. So I, I just don't know. I'm so tired of hearing this. And I mean, if there's horrible things that happened, you know, yeah, it, it should be dealt with. But the fact that just, just keeps going on and on and on and on. And and I don't know. And, you know, why was she able to to, to handle it? And, and you know, no one else has said anything about it. You know, did Ben Affleck have any issues? I mean, I think he had other, other things going on besides, you know, did Henry Cavill have issues? Because the thing is, like, like you know, obviously Gal is not anti Warner Brothers. You know, she did Wonder Woman 84. She's, you know, going to, I think she didn't, she just signed on to do Wonder Woman 3. And, you know, I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> um, Venture Brothers. I don't know why I'm going here next. But uh, they're, gonna, I'm so behind the Venture Brothers, which I should probably start watching that. Maybe I'll start watching that next. I've been, uh, I've been watching regular show on HBO Max, but I've kind of put that on pause because I think I think I'm on the last season, season eight, the last season, where they go in space. Kind of feel like they've jumped the shark a little bit with this season. It was at the beginning it was like, holy crap, that's cool. If you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. But I've kind of put on pause lately, uh, because I, I don't want it to end. But maybe I'll, I'll watch Venture Brothers because I, I I don't even know how much I've seen. I you know I was watching in the beginning and then I watched you know some episodes here and there. Anyways the show sadly abruptly ended, but it's getting an animated movie on Adult Swim and HBO Max. So that's cool. There's also going to be movies uh, for Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which I never watched that. 
and Metalocalypse. Metalocalypse. That sounds weird. Metal, because it should be Apocalypse. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So we have all that. Disney, I guess, apparently settled the royalties payment stuff with the Star Wars writers. So I don't know what the whole whole detail is with, with all of this, but obviously when Disney bought... Fox and Star Wars, you know, all that stuff. Like there, apparently, there were some writers who weren't getting royalties from books that they had written a while ago, like Alan Dean Foster in particular. Who, if you've read Star Wars books, you know anything, you know, like the major contributions. You know, he's he's added to that. So with with Disney owning them, you know, there I guess there was a question of, oh, what does that mean for previous contracts? And and I don't know the legalities of it. You, you know, if, if a company sells to another, you know, corporation or whatever, do they still need to honor those contracts or are they null and void? It shouldn't seem like they would be null and void because if you have this, especially if you're talking about royalties, you just because someone else buys the rights doesn't mean they can just, I wouldn't think, you know, they'd, you'd have to negotiate. I don't know how that works, but apparently writers are now getting paid again, but it there's a, a comment that I saw that it seems like the more... Um, proficient, prolific, prolific. I think that's what I'm trying to say. The more prolific writers. See, this this shows that I don't have this stuff like prepped beforehand, which maybe I should. So the more prolific writers are getting a better treatment, I guess. So that's unfortunate, but I'm sure it's like a big mess. Uh, And just to try to deal with, with all that, if you think about how many writers and I'm more curious, like, how does the comic book stuff work? Because I think it's kind of crazy that, you know, Marvel has all the rights to the the past Star Wars comics and Dark Horse basically doesn't anymore, even though they paid for it up front. I I don't even know how all that works. So hopefully things are are getting better there. Also with Star Wars, um, Star Wars Celebration Anaheim for next year, it was going to be in August 2022, but it's been rescheduled for May 26th through the 29th of 2022. I'd kind of like to go again since it's Anaheim because I like going to Anaheim. But that's, I would have to miss some of the day job. So I don't know. I'll have to think about that. And then if I can get in and all that stuff. So maybe. Um, Oh, what I should have mentioned before, there was a new Venom trailer. Venom, let there be carnage. And uh, have I mentioned that I really don't like carnage? (laughs) <laughs> and by I really don't like Carnage, I hate Carnage. I despise Carnage. I can't stand Carnage. And I don't know what my problem is. I think one is I, I, I get like duplicate characters and all that stuff. But, you know, there's I feel like there's no need for Carnage. And maybe you could say, well, you know, Venom is kind of like, you know, straddling the line between, you know, being an anti hero versus being a villain so carnage is you know pure hardcore villain evil and but i i i think it's just because you know he's a a a crazed serial killer and you know why would that be anyone's favorite character i mean does is anyone say like yeah i love carnage she's my favorite comic book character i sound like almost like she he's my favorite comic book character and same thing like joker joker's a psychotic you know killer and i love him there's one thing where having like a favorite villain like that you want to see your heroes go up against, but I mean, who says that they're their favorite characters? And I guess it's like people who put Punisher stuff and under guns and whatever. 
<laughs> I don't know. So yeah, there's a trailer. The the trailer looks it looks kind of hokey. I mean, there's there's like so much comedy put in there and I mean, it just feels like so over the top. And and then, you know, in in the beginning of trailers, like they're just really pushing the comedy angle and Tom Hardy, he, he can be funny. You know, he was funny in the first one, but oh my goodness, I don't know. I really don't know what's going on in this movie, like what they're thinking. So we'll see where, where that's going to go. Um, some Netflix news. There's going to be a new Ultraman animated movie. I don't know. I mean, we'll, I, I, have, I hope it, it'll be well. I, when I hear Ultraman animated and something new, I don't get like super excited, but I feel like I should be. I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends on when it comes out. Maybe I'll talk about that. Also with Netflix, Masters of the Universe, um, was it Revelation? So that's uh, the Kevin Smith where he's a showrunner. Some images have been released for that. I think like like 10 images have, have been put out. So that's coming out on July 23rd, and it's going to be part one. So I think they're breaking up. I think it's like five episodes are going to come out. So that's great. I, I appreciate them breaking it down like that. So I can just watch five, talk about it. And then they'll do the other five. You know, kind of like how they did with with Transformers. I'm so glad that they broke that down into three parts because I I just strongly believe that it's better if you watch an episode then you have time to digest it and think about it versus like whoa here's this big cliffhanger and then it just you know before the credits even you know days just start rolling and then it, it kicks you into the next episode right away. So it's like you if there's some big shocking event or revelation or cliffhanger it's like you don't have to worry about it because two seconds later they're dealing with it already so i just i just really like having that week in between like with a mayor of east town you know just with the the big like bombshells that they drop i like having to wait and you know think about that that's just me i don't know um, oh, back to Marvel. So Shang Chi and the Ten Rings of Mystic Rings of the Order of whatever I don't remember. Uh, it's going to be exclusive to theaters, so that, that's not going to be like a Disney Plus premiere access or whatever. And so this is, I, I think they're starting this in August or maybe September, but they're going to have like forty-five days exclusive to theaters before it, it starts streaming anywhere. And by anywhere, it's probably like Disney Plus. So I don't know, and I'm not sure. Yeah, what that means if, if after 45 days is that just gonna be straight to Disney Plus or is it gonna be premiere access where you have to pay? So that's fine. I mean, like I said, I went to the theater, so hopefully, you know, with the CDC regulations changing, you know, this past week, I don't think that's a good idea, but it's not my call. And yeah, I don't know. Um, and then, sort of Star Wars, or not Star Wars, sort of Marvel, uh, Emily Blunt, she addressed a room. I guess I don't know why there's rumors, but. I didn't even hear that there are rumors. You know, people are always saying, oh, Emily Blunt should play the Invisible Woman and her husband, what's his name, John Krasinski, should play Reed Richards. I don't know how I feel about that. It's like, I mean, I'd, I'd be down with it. I'd be fine. I mean, is he the best choice for Reed Richards? Is there anyone that could be better? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I'm sure, you know, he would do a great job. You know, he's a, he's a great actor. But it's just weird how everyone's just kind of really attached themselves to these two playing a role just because they're a Hollywood couple. So let's make them a movie couple. And I don't think that that should be the, the only criteria that people consider. So I don't know if there is like a new rumor that people are saying like, oh, maybe she's going to do it or if it's just a continued fan casting. But she's like, it's like, no, she's like, that's not happening. And she said something that 
she said, it's not that I'm loath to put on a cat suit. It's not that at all. I just haven't found something that really speaks to me. So I think that's what she's saying about uh, just why she's not in a Marvel movie. But wasn't she, wasn't Emily Blunt supposed to be Black Widow? And then she was in Gulliver Travels. Am I thinking someone else? Because I, I get some actors confused. But we'll have to wait and see if, if there's, whenever there's any announcements. And hopefully there'll be good announcements. And then uh, Margot Robbie, you know, she, apparently she's been trying to get Poison Ivy in, in the movies. You know, she says that, you know, she keeps pitching, bringing Poison Ivy to the, the DC extended universe. And, you know, probably as a couple with Carly, I'm, I'm assuming. Warner Brothers, I guess, has like kind of been reluctant for some reason. And I, I'm assuming they may have something else planned. You know, maybe at some point they're like, okay, let's do a Poison Ivy movie. You know, maybe they're waiting for the right time. And when, you know, they have a clear, because, you know, you got Suicide Squad, you got more Wonder Woman, you have the Batman, you got uh, Shazam, you got Black Adam, maybe Aquaman too. I don't even know what the status is on that. So, you know, there, there's this other stuff that are coming out. You know, did I say the Amazon's movies? So maybe they're, they're just, they don't want to put everything out at once. You know, they want to hold off and, or maybe they're just like, well, you know, there's a Uma Thurman uh, Poison Ivy, so maybe we should wait, which that's, that would be a silly because Tom Hardy played Bane and Bane was sort of in that same movie. So I don't know. But, I mean, it'd be cool to see Poison Ivy. Uh, no offense to Uma Thurman, but I didn't really care for the costume designs in, in that movie. I should watch it again sometime. It would be really, really rough. But anyways, that is going to be the news for this week. All right, with comic books, uh, I'm going to start off with Boom Studios this week. So normally I start with, with Image, no particular reason. Uh, but last week I forgot to read Eve. So Eve number one by Victor, Victor Lavelle and Joe Migyoung. And um, I was in, intrigued by this. I, I just totally forgot to read it by the time I hit record. I was like, oh, I didn't read that one. So it turns out the first issue did sell out, and I, I know a new printing is, is coming up. It's a... It's an interesting comic. So what the description says, and I don't know, maybe whatever, but it says for fans of Undiscovered Country and Little Bird comes a new adventure series from award-winning author Victor LaVale and a rising star artist uh, about a dangerous journey across future dystopian America to save the world. When ice, I, don't, I may, may have read this last week. When ice caps melted, most of humanity was lost to the hidden diseases that was released. Now a mysterious girl named Eve has awoken in secret and must deal with a world that's nothing like the virtual reality she was raised in. In order to save her real father, Eve must embark on a deadly quest across the country, but she has no idea the threats that await her and the price she will pay to restore life to a dying planet. So, yeah, we, we kind of, that kind of says a lot of what happens in this first issue. So apparently she grew up in a virtual reality world and it's not clear how much, how long she was in there because, you know, she's 11. Does it say she's 11? I think, she, I'm pretty sure she's 11. It doesn't. I, she may not necessarily have spent her entire eleven years in in this virtual reality pod thing, and you know because she just doesn't really remember. Like you know, probably things blurred together, and she comes out of it. You, if you look on the cover, there's this like teddy bear there, and does it say anything about the teddy bear in this? I don't, I don't remember what I just wrote. So this teddy bear is actually an android that looks like her, like a stuffed animal that she had. It was supposed to be like to, a comforting type of thing. But what's interesting about this this bear, I think at one point 
it, it mentions that it's like 300 pounds because it's like a full-fledged like android and it's like legs could get longer or whatever because it, it like carries her in the beginning because you know when she first comes out of the pod you know she's a little woozy and everything like that so she has to make this this trek and and we're, we're getting little glimpses as to what the world is like you know we don't know the whole story and everything like that um, what's a little unclear of like if, if her father's still alive, why isn't he there? And you know why does he need to be rescued or what's going on? You know, so I wonder is like is he really alive or whatever? But it's it's definitely interesting. And then reading um, kind of like the the not the letters page and not their back matter or whatever. Uh, but the, uh, the author talks about his wife who's like really into like climate writing. And, you know, doing stuff like that. And he kind of wanted to do that. But he's like, I, I can't, don't want to do a nonfiction, you know, or whatever. And so he, he decided, oh, because he also talks about, like, where they're, they were living, like, kind of like outside of Harlem and how they were really hit by, like, COVID. That, that uh, community was affected more than others, for, you know, for the various reasons. So, you know, he just kind of wanted to do a story dealing with this and everything. And not, not that particular, but kind of dealing with it. So I, I'm intrigued with this. And um, it, it's, it's worth checking out, I, I think. Uh, the first issue, first issue is like, it's good. You know, it's okay, it, but it has to set things up. So it doesn't dive super deep into anything, but it, you know, it, it can't because it has to set up all, all that stuff. But like I said, it's, it's, it's worth checking out to you know try something new and you know give something else a shot because you know you, you might be surprised and like I said it, it sold out so you know and I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything you know how many uh, copies of the stores order etc cetera, etc cetera, and all that but it, it's it's good then um, this week at Boom there was uh, Seven Secrets number eight it's 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 kind of taken an interesting direction you know the the group the order they were in this like fairyland so they came out of it because they had to make this escape because so they they have these the seven secrets and you know there, there's the other groups that are trying to find out what these secrets are we don't know what the secrets are one has been uh has been taken and now they're worried that when it gets revealed it could be like catastrophic so there's gonna be like some major problems with this secret getting getting out and so so we're seeing like the group trying to get back in terms of things they still don't know like what happened how they were betrayed because you know like only only the people that are there knew about where they were going and stuff like that so they don't know who it was so it, it's definitely some interesting stuff and uh it, it's it's worth checking out so if you haven't been reading it's tom taylor and um danielle didn't Julio, the art is really good. So I, I highly recommend this if you haven't been reading it. First trade came out, I think the first, it was a trade came out last week or recently. So you, sh you should definitely check that out. Um, another book I want to mention, uh, The Princess Who Saved Herself, hardcover came out. I didn't read this, but I read the original because um, this is a, a Greg, Greg Pak um, put out the story. It's based off of the song by Jonathan Colton. And I only know about it because I had heard the song on some like kids' radio station with my daughter when she was like tiny, and then uh, Greg did a Kickstarter for this book. Um, Takeshi Miyazawa does the art, so really awesome art, and uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a cool book. So I'm I'm kind of glad that it's in a new printing now, you know, for a new audience because uh, obviously the one I had was you know whatever limited run through the Kickstarter thing. So it if you have kids, it's a kids' book. You know, is what it comes down to. It's it's definitely cool, especially if you have a daughter. You know, because we want to promote daughters that, 
something that's more positive, you know, that girls can do what can do the same thing boys can do or whatever, you know, they don't have to be in the secondary roles. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out if, if, you know, you have kids or plan on having kids or whatever. Um, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer 25 came out. I didn't read this yet because like I, you know, I, I started reading like 21 or 22 and I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I, I hope to someday catch up, which I need to get on that. But the description here, so I, I have the issue. So if I ever able to get caught up, um, the biggest Buffy story of the century starts here. The truth about Buffy, the Scooby gang and their very existence is revealed in this jaw dropping anniversary issue. What is their connection to spoiler? That's what it says. I don't know what that, who that is. And how does it connect to spoiler? So that's like super vague. Every answer only leads to more questions and straight to the biggest bad you never saw coming. So I'm like super intrigued, but I need to read all those other. I was like, I part of me wonders like, can I just read that without, you know, having read the other ones or am I still going to be like lost with, with that? At Image, so Birthrate 49 came out, so I think there's one more issue after this. Geiger Issue 2 came out, and uh, what's interesting about this is we, we're seeing more of this world, so it's it's kind of neat because it focuses more on, like, Vegas and some of the people there, and we see, like, this one waitress and, you know, how she's working for, like, her, you know, herself and her kids and, and just, like, how bad things can be. Like, as the kids get older, you know, you have to be protective of them and everything. And uh, then, you know, we do see somebody outside and like some of the, the mutated creatures out there. We see Geiger. We see a little bit more like the story with him, like um, Tariq, uh, like what, what happened before. So I, I, I really I'm enjoying this just to, to see, you know, what's going on. It's not like a full fledged, like in your face, like like action, whatever. But it, it's really fleshing out this world, which I think is cool. And I think I saw uh, Gary Frank mentioned that. This series, this is going to be like a six-issue series. And then then there's going to be like other books after that. So I think like this first arc or whatever is six issues. And then we'll see more like other aspects or other things. So um, I'm, I'm really curious about where this is going to go. So it, it's cool. Carmen issue three. So this, this almost felt like it was like the last issue. But this is three out of five. So Carmen is about uh, this girl, Carmen. Uh, Kate, Kata, Katya, Kata, Kate, whatever, Kat. She, you know, basically committed suicide. And then uh, Carmen is like this sort of like a angel thing, kind of guiding her along and everything. And uh, it's it kind of gets a little dark where, you know, she, because she doesn't realize, she thinks she's just streaming or something like that. You know, she doesn't know what's going on. And now she's starting to realize, well, I'm not coming back, am I? You know, I'm, I'm dead. And then we also see this other dude. It's such it's such a tragic story. Like I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but something something happens to this guy. You know, he's like all about to do something, and then he kind of you know she witnesses this and tries to help him a little bit, but uh, but then this like other angel lady comes to deal with him, and so it's it's kind of heavy 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 story. So um, silver coin number two. I really am enjoying this. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this because this is like an anthology series. So each issue is a different story and it's each issue is by a different writer. So this one, it's Kelly Thompson. And as you know, if you've been listening, I love Kelly Thompson, like pretty much everything she writes. Although, like I said, I haven't read her Nancy Drew uh, comics yet. But this, um, and you know, Michael Wash does the art in, in all of these. 
So now apparently it's like 1993. There's a lot of like familiar tropes here. You know, there's like mean girl stuff happening. There's like summer camp stuff happening. There's like uh, like urban myths or ghost stories happening. And then things take like a dark twist. So it gets pretty, pretty bloody and everything. And what, what surprises me is as much as I love horror, I don't feel like horror comics always work. And a lot of it is because of the coloring. You know, you have to you have to balance it where, yeah, you could just read a black and white version, you know, or if one was available. But it's like I kind of don't necessarily want to read a black and white version while, you know, I can appreciate, you know, a black and white comic or a manga or whatever. But I, I like that there's colors. I, I think it's just a right combination of everything. So this was just a really good issue. And and even though you might be like, okay, yeah, I think I know what's going to happen. Or like, oh, these girls are being mean. They're going to do this. But it's it's still it's still good. So, I mean, it's it's it, this is a heavy story as well. So um, you should definitely be checking that out. And then there is a Time Before Time. So this is written co-written by Declan Shelby and Rory McConville. And then uh, Joel Palmer and I think Chris O'Halloran do, do the art. So uh, according to the synopsis, let me just read this so I don't butcher this, my description. The year is 2140, and to escape a world with no future, many turn to the Syndicate, a criminal organization who, for the right price, will smuggle you back in time to a better life. After working for the Syndicate for years, Tetsuo and Oscar decide to steal one of the boss's time machines, but soon find out the one thing you can't run from is your past. So basically, they must have somehow figured out how time travel works and scumbags, whatever, pay to get relocated. And it's weird because they're getting brought to the past. So it's almost like witness relocation for rich, bad people. So they're going in the past, but then it's like they know all these secrets and stuff like that. Because like there's, uh, there's one kid, I think they were brought back to the 80s. He's like, okay, what's a Wi-Fi password? And they're like, oh, the internet hasn't been invented yet. And he's like, what? There's no Wi-Fi? And he's like freaking out. And But yeah, so it's kind of interesting. And then uh, the sort of one guy that his job, you know, he's one of the guys that takes the people to the right time and sets them up, whatever, and goes back. And he just wants to be done with this. And, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out how he can steal one of the pods. And then something happens. There's a little twist. And uh, then there's like another twist. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm digging this. I can't wait to see where that's going to go. At uh, IDW, this is the other one. I need to get caught up on G.I. Joe because uh, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero 281, Murder by Assassination Part 1. It's a brand new arc and a brand new character. In the aftermath of the chaotic events of Snake Hunt, issues 266 to 75, which I totally missed that, the Joes are in a tough spot with the brass in Washington, D.C., Call in to testify before a confidential subcommittee intent on investigating the off-the-books mission, a small group of Joes find themselves embroiled in an entirely different kind of investigation, the murder mystery kind. Help our heroes search for clues alongside living legend Larry Hama, superstar artist Andrew Griffith, as well as a brand new Joe whose origin is seen here for the first time ever, codename Sherlock. So uh, that's that sounds pretty cool to me. And uh, I, I need to get back into G.I. Joe comics. And yeah, I, I, yeah, there's a lot. I, I wish I could go back and read from there's there's a lot. Because I, I think I, I know I've mentioned before, but when IDW started continuing from the G.I. Joe comics, I was getting the issues and I still have a, probably a bunch of I don't even I couldn't even tell you where they're at. 
whether they're at my house or I left them behind at Comic Vine. But I was like buying them, but then I was just never because then I got behind. It's like okay, I'll read it, I'll read it, but then it would get stuck in the wrong. St yeah, so I, I'm just really curious about that. So it, that that sounds cool. So I don't know how far back I'll go to try to catch up. Like maybe just try to read that Snake Hunt. I'm sure it'll be fine after that, but we'll we'll see. At DC Comics, so if you were reading it, keeping up with it, American Vampire issue eight came out. Um, then there is Batman the Detective issue two. So this is the Tom Taylor Andy Kubert. So it's a you know basic Batman's dealing with this group who is intent on killing people who have been saved by Batman. So they're like dressed in like kind of like white Batman outfits, and Batman's a. You know, so this is like an older Batman. You know, and uh, he's you know trying to deal with everything. He's working with Knight, who was a former squire who became Knight and everything like that, because she was on a plane that was hijacked and was going to crash and everything. So this is good. I'm I, I'm I'm really digging the story. I like that it's you know a little out of continuity. You know, possible potential future, whatever. So it's it this is good. Then we have a Batman Urgent Urban Legends. So this is a. Uh, I, I like most of this. Uh, so the the first story is let me just refresh myself. So the first one is yeah Red Hood and Batman. So this is a Chip Zdarsky uh, story, uh, art by Eddie Barrows and Eben Ferreira. So Red Hood kind of killed this drug dealer dude, and then he finds out the, the guy has a kid, and uh, the mom like OD'd on drugs, so the, the dad was like dealing the drugs. So that's what made uh, Jason angry. And so now he's got this kid. He doesn't want the kid to go into the system because he was in the system. He knows that's not a good thing and everything. And then uh, Batman finds out about it. And, you know, so there's a little anger involved. But, you know, Batman wants to help Jason and everything. So there's some some tense things there. Then there's a Lady Shiva uh, story. That one, I, I was okay. Lady Shiva turns up at, at Bruce's place. And they're talking, and then they end up fighting. It's like okay. Um, the outsider stories, I I didn't read the last two parts, so I haven't read that. And then the Grifter story, this is by Matthew Rosenberg's and art by Ryan Benjamin. I'm enjoying that. Um, we're, we're seeing like Grifter, like when he first started working for uh, Lucius Fox and everything, and just it's not really clear where he's coming from and like you know what what his intentions are. So that's uh, there's some interesting things there. Um, there is DC Festival of Heroes, um, the Asian superhero celebration. So there's a lot of great creators involved with this. I, I started reading this, and, and there's some good, cool stories here. The problem is it's like 100 pages, like over 100 pages. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to read all this and read everything else. And if I want to record in a timely manner, you know, I could. And I know it's like, oh, it's just 100 pages, but. Yeah, I, I I got a schedule to read, so it's it's worth checking out. And again, you know, support Asian creators. Why not? You know, and support Asian characters. You know, they're cool. So you, know, you should definitely check that out. Then we have Future State um, Gotham issue one. So this is an interesting comic. So this is by Joshua Williamson, and then uh, the art is by uh, Dennis Culver, but. It's a uh, it's black and white. It's like a manga, and you know because even the, the style of a lot of things. So that was an interesting choice, and I I really wonder how people are going to take that because 
you know, it doesn't say this is in black and white, but it's it's really cool to see the story here. So if you read the, I don't even remember what what issues it was was in, uh, but basically in the Gotham here, you know, you have the was it the protectors and the magistrate and the you know, mass are outlawed, which is something that we're seeing now, like kind of coming into play. So Jason is working to capture masked, you know, menaces and stuff like that. And it seems like he's turned his back on who he used to be and all, all that. And, you know, he's, he's dealing with, you know, working on this case and stuff like that. And they're trying to keep him, uh, like the one, uh, protect is, aren't they called protectors? But they're, they're tr oh, it does say in the synopsis, I just noticed here, black and white series will showcase a brutal world that's around the corner in future state. Gotham. So, anyways, it, it's it's good stuff, and uh, you know, it's Joshua Williamson, so you know that that says something there. And I do like the different style. I'm I'm a little hesitant because I wasn't super crazy about the future state stuff, but it is interesting, especially since we're seeing stuff play out, like with the magistrate and all this, you know, masked vigilantes possibly being outlawed in uh, in Gotham. So it's kind of scary, like what may happen. So it, it's worth checking out and. It's a uh, you know Jason Todd. We do see some other characters as well. I won't I won't mention who, but there's there's some interesting things there. Then there's a Joker issue three. So Gordon, you know, someone approached him about tracking down Joker. You know, they have a lead on him, and they're offering him like almost like unlimited resources because they want him to kill Joker. You know, they they have their reasons and stuff like that. And uh, so Joe or Gordon, he's he's really tempted. You know, he. Batman knows and Barbara knows, uh, Batgirl or Oracle. And, you know, so what's he going to do when he comes comes face to face? You know, that we don't really know that or it wasn't really clear. He didn't, like, say he wasn't intending to kill him. So he, he decides to follow lead. He's like, okay, I'll just go here or whatever. And spoiler, it turns out <laughs> the first place he goes, Joker's there. But there are some other people who are after Joker. And so Jim's like going to be like, okay, what do you do now type of thing. Then we have Justice League Last Ride, issue one. This is written by Chip Zdarsky. The art is by Miguel Mendonca. And um, let's see, what does it say here? Once the Justice League was the most powerful collection of superheroes in the universe, but an unthinkable tragedy within the ranks has caused Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman to go their separate ways, leaving the League broken and disbanded under a veil of anger and mistrust. Now, against the backdrop but now against the backdrop of the universe's greatest murder trial, can the league reconcile the past before they're eradicated by the greatest villains of the cosmos? So obviously it's not current continuity. At first I was a little confused. I was like, wait, when is this taking place? Because there's some things that are mentioned like uh, the United Nations of planet and kind of like the, the dis, not the uh, dissolve, dis, dissolution like the breaking up of, of the Green Lantern Corps, which they haven't broken up, but they've been kind of reduced because of the United Nations things. Or, yeah, United Nations of Planets. So there are some things, but then it's like, well, what happened? Why why are Batman and Superman so angry at each other? You know, there, there is something there. And we, we do get a hint of, of what's involved there. So it is interesting that way. And I, I wish it was, I mean, it should be pretty clear by the description, but it's not super clear that this isn't in current continuity. I feel like that they should just make sure everyone's aware 
but I guess you don't have to worry about that. So it's worth checking out. And, you know, I, I love Chip Zdarsky's writing. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a good story. Then um, I did finally catch up on the next Batman Second Son. There are some interesting stories here. Um, this, this week's issue features Katana. And we see that Jace um, Fox trained with her at some point. But in the, the pre last few issues, we saw like what happened and like, so basically, spoiler, uh, he was he was a an spoiled rich kid. Like he was not even seventeen. You know, it was like it was like his seventeenth birthday is coming up. He's driving super expensive, you know, crazy expensive car, and uh, he has this like big party going on. But then he tries hitting on this girl at the party, and she's she came with a friend as like a plus one, and she doesn't want like anything to do with it, and kind of really brushes him off and puts him in his place so he decides to go meet with this other girl who he didn't even bother inviting to the party and as he's talking to her he hits someone in the street and uh the person was like drunk and was not a nice person whatever but he still took a life and the parents are trying to cover it up and everything so that's coming back into the modern day and so it's like yeah that's not not really good I still don't know how this connects to uh, their older, their other sister. And because Luke Fox just is angry with him and he kind of has good reasons, but it's not his fault. You know, uh, the fact that uh, Lucius and uh, his wife, like the stuff that they tried doing. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I don't know what's going on with the Foxes. Rorschach issue eight. I wasn't really crazy about this issue. So we're we're seeing more like you know the 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 cop guy he's interviewing interviewing some suspects trying to find out what's going on with the dude the writer dude that was dressed as Rorschach and the uh, the girl the cowgirl shooter and um, I just I I don't know maybe this might be a story that you have to read altogether to see how everything fits in and how everything matters to it or whatever. But I'm just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not super um, invested in it. You know, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep reading it to see what happens. But yeah, Superman 31. So this is continuing with Superman and John on this alien planet, you know, trying to see what happened to uh, alien super or alien friend of Superman's. And you know, there's being they're being kind of taken over by these other alien creatures and stuff like that, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And there's stuff about Jonathan living up to you know trying to be live up to the legend of his father type of thing, and and everything like that. And it was okay. I didn't. I, it's like I don't care about the. I don't even know who these aliens are, whether we've seen them or heard them before. But I'm just not super excited about. That that story, I'm more interested in the dynamics between Superman and and John and and you know just their interaction with each other. Then there is Wonder Woman seven seventy two. It's more to Asgard stuff, so I uh, didn't read it. At Marvel, we had Black Hat issue six. So Black Hat was kind of betrayed by Black Fox. You know they were supposed to pull this big score but he had other plans because he was dying and he wanted to negotiate like immortality for himself and felicia 
So, but at the cost of Manhattan, the island of Manhattan. So, long story, <laughs> magical stuff and everything like that. So, she's uh, trying to figure out how to go back on this agreement that was made. But it's not something that you can just easily do. So, yeah, we'll have to, I don't know where this is going to go. But I'm, I, I still dig this, this series. It's, it's really good. Children at Adam, issue three. So we're seeing more about these kids and getting to see who they are and where they're coming from and kind of like just the dynamics of them and and like little details about like their their lives and and stuff like that. So that was kind of interesting here. And you know we we do get some like flashback scenes because I'm still not fully clear on what their deal is because I'm pretty sure they're not mutants. I th- I think that's pr- pretty obvious, right? I mean I don't know if. If I'm assuming that, and if I just missed like the one glaring like official declaration, but I because I think they, they can't even get through a Krakoan gate because they're not mutants or they're not fully mutants, and uh, so like what what's the deal with them? So that that's what has me intrigued, and um, I, I'm I'm really starting to you know get to know these these kids, these characters, and and you know curious what's going to happen. So I, I'm enjoying that this series, Fantastic Four thirty two. There's kind of like two parts of this. Uh, one takes place at the Latvian embassy. Ben, Alicia, and their their adoptive kids, Decree and the Scroll, um, they're they're there. Plus Johnny and Sky, his soulmate from the other planet, and they go there. Victor, Doctor Doom's not there, but um, what's her name? Victorious is is that her name? Um, they they're you know the she's doesn't like them and uh some stuff goes goes down uh let's elijah pulls some stuff so it's like what's what's going on with her and then there's there's something with the um alicia she kind of does something that was kind of surprising and then the second story there's like a confrontation between dr doom and reed richards that uh has kind of an interesting kind of cheesy kind of cliche but it also i really liked the outcome, like what what this means, uh, it makes sense at first. It's like, wait, why why is that happening? Why is that going to be the case? But it does kind of make sense in in some ways, and so um, it's not definitely something worth talking about. Which maybe I'll talk about the next issue because I don't want to spoil it now. Then there's giant size Amazing Spider Man, uh, this uh, King's Ransom. So the Spider-Man needs to try to get Boomerang because he's been taken. He's being hunted by Kingpin and all these bad guys because they want the, the tablet of life stuff. So Spider-Man tries getting, or he does get like Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, Wolverine, Iron Fist, and uh, is that it? The Hawkeye to to help him. So it's it's nice to see them all together, and they they kind of they have some. Not necessarily harsh words with Spider-Man that you know how he, basically he like he's too busy. He never like contacts them, and they're like you never you know respond to your emails and you know stuff like that. And they're like you never come to the reunion meetings or like there's reunions. And Wolverine's like yeah, it was in the emails, but he doesn't read them because he's so busy. And they're like you know you're like the you insist on being you're like the ultimate loner, even though you know you you should be asking for help once in a while and stuff like that. So there's good, but then. Um, there's a kind of big development with between uh, like Boomerang and Spider-Man, so that that's something. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy issue 14. Doctor Doom is in this book too. 
uh, yeah, I wasn't super excited about this, unfortunately. Doctor Doom does like his mind transfer thing with Hulkling and then ends up doing a mind transfer accidentally with someone else, which is kind of interesting and they need to they're going to end up having to work together, which is why Doctor Doom is going to be on the Guardians for a bit. So we'll see where that goes. Heroes Reborn issue 2. This is really about Hyperion and you know him tr- being wanting to be like the ultimate hero and everything like that. And uh, on the, the outskirts of the story, it's a blade trying to find you know because he's been looking for the other Avengers. And then the first issue is like you know he he found Captain America's frozen body. So it's like you know what can we do with that? Then um, Heroes Reborn. Hyperion and an Imperial Squad. I really wasn't. I I couldn't get into this this issue, and and yeah, I was reading this one like late at night one point, and it's just it just was like a. I just couldn't really concentrate into it, and part of it is because I don't really care so much about Hyperion and, and the Squadron Supreme or whoever, and but we you know we, we kind of get some some background story with them. It was just, it was, and part of me I feels like it's like I don't want all these hero reborns like one shots. But that being said, the heroes reborn Peter Parker was interesting. And um, one thing, because when you read Heroes Reborn too, there's a couple pages that are like recreated that are like identical dialogue from Heroes Reborn two and the Peter Parker. Because like in the Heroes Reborn two, Peter Parker mentions, you know, he's like he's facing some danger, you know, because he, he doesn't have spider powers. And he's like, oh, maybe my best friend Hyperion will hear me and, and come save me. And then when in the Peter Parker issue, there's a little bit more to it than that. So it's like, oh, okay. So that was it was I, I liked I did like the Peter Parker issue more than the Hyperion issue. Silk issue three. So Silk is, you know, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with these gangs and with these demon cat people. And uh, then it looks like someone uh, may have figured out her identity. So more stuff like that. So I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this series. Spider-Man, The Spider's Shadow, Issue 2. So this is uh, Chip Zdarsky and uh, Pascal Ferry. So this is basically the five-issue, I think, what-if story, where what if Spider-Man didn't give up the symbiote costume? And in the first issue, which I, I don't know if I spoiled it last time, but I'll mention it now, Hobgoblin follows or somehow followed Spider-Man to Aunt May's house and uh, Aunt May ended up dying and then, uh, you know, caught an explosion. So Spider-Man goes off, you know, he's, he's influenced by the, the symbiote costume, kills Hobgoblin. And so now he's kind of like, well, maybe this is a message to, you know, bad guys need to, to see that, you know, there's, there's no... You do the bad things, that's it. So it's really taking a dark turn. Spider-Woman issue 12. This issue, she's fighting these two dudes with swords. I don't know, maybe we, I guess we saw them before. I think in an earlier issue. I didn't really care so much about them. And then, uh, but the, the, the important thing I think here is between Jessica and Roger. Because it's like, what's this, what does Roger do? All he does is, is watch the baby. And you know, it's not even his kid, right? And uh, yeah, so there, there's something is going to come out with that. Then we have um, Star Wars issue 13. So this is a prelude to the hunt for Han Solo. So in uh, the last, the prelude Omega or whatever, we saw Boba Fett ha- having to enter this tournament 
to try to get the carbonite Han Solo um, fixed because there, there's some problems with that. So the dude that said he could fix it, he's like, well, I'll do it, but you have to kill this person, the champion of this tournament. So Boba Fett puts temporary paint on his armor, enters a tournament as Django, and, and goes through there. So now here, um, Chewbacca gets word about a Boba Fett sighting. So he goes with Luke, um, 3PO, and R2, and this other Wookiee friend of, of Chewbacca. And uh, you know they're trying to get some information there. And, and so Luke has this gold lightsaber that he found on this planet. And you know R2 is trying to tell him some stuff that he found out about that planet or whatever. And uh, you know we see Luke doing his training. So there's some cool moments in, in this. Uh, you know we're because we're getting closer to seeing like the Luke that was in Return of the Jedi, where he's a little more honed, not as whiny as he was in, in New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So it, it's kind of cool that that we get to see more of this before, because like by the time we Return of the Jedi, he's almost like too um, not hoity-toity, but you know he's just. You know what I'm saying. Where he, I want to see more Luke in action, like doing stuff, and we get to see that here. So, I, I, I'm in, I'm enjoying this. All right, then there's Star Wars: The High Republic issue five, and uh, this kind of wraps up the, the the last couple issues. Uh, so, uh, I don't know how he felt about this, and I I hate when I I start off like that. I you know I'm still tr- getting used to these characters and and trying to form the attachment to them, and because like a if you look at the cover, you can see, like, oh, someone's injured. Are they going to survive? Are they not? And it's kind of hard. It's like, yeah, they, I hope they survive. But if they don't, it, I don't have a connection to them. You know, it's different if it was like Han Solo, like wounded or something. You know, is he going to die? And so I know, you know, part of it is giving him a chance and, you know, getting to know the, these characters and so forth. And I'm... I, enjoying the exploration of this era era not error era and it was interesting seeing the the jedis like on this planet that was like kind of controlled by some huts and you know they, they claimed that they owned the planet and you know the jedi could just leave so you kind of have this confrontation and i thought that was a little interesting just right there because this is a different in this era you know the jedi are like in command and or you know they're very prominent in the universe so just to boldly tell jedi to just you know leave the planet and so i thought that that was a little interesting and you know i'd like to see more about you know how not necessarily the politics of the universe but just to see how they operate because that's something that we haven't seen a whole lot we got a little bit of it like in phantom menace where you know the jedis were ambassadors or whatever and then like with attack of the clones and Revenge of the Sith, that's a little different because the Jedi were used in time of, of war. So I'd like to see more of like how the Jedi are used and what they, you know, what type of missions. And, you know, we, we got a taste for that here. So I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing what comes next in this series. Okay, then there was X-Core, X-Corp, number one. And uh, uh, I, I think my problem with this is... The fact that there's a lot of business stuff. So in in a sense, it feels like a different type of X-Men book. And that's a good thing because, you know, we shouldn't just have, let's just throw another book with all these mutants. I mean, there's so many mutants and they can just keep doing this. But, you know, from a wallet perspective, you know, we don't want all this. So we kind of get something a little, little different here. And it really focuses a lot on 
on Monet and Warren, uh, Angel and Monet, because they're you know they're kind of leading this business venture part, and you know we're we're seeing is they're they're going around and, and trying to negotiate you know launch things this new initiative or direction that they're going through, and we're seeing how they're operating with some people who aren't necessarily cooperating so much and there's there's like uh there's this one dude who's like a deep lack of respect and and uh he's really just kind of like not really telling angel off or anything but i'm I'm thinking is like does he still have the archangel like the death in him you know is is he gonna change or so you know you, you have that whole aspect and then there's stuff you know with a monet and penance like you know merged or whatever and and then we have uh, the the what I did like or a lot you know we we get some Madrix multiple man in here, but it I mean it's an interesting direction and I'll obviously keep reading it, but I, I just wonder where they're going to go with all this business stuff because you know I not that it's like heavy into business or anything like that, but it's just not something that I'm looking forward to. But I do appreciate and uh, that this is you know something a, a bit different. Then we have X Factor number nine. So there's this force, this entity thing called the Morgan, more again, that's like inside uh, um, Teresa, inside Siren. And this is the kind of the reason why she's been sort of like killing herself like over and over again or dying. And, you know, they're, they're trying to, to figure out what is going on with that and what's the deal. And then uh, we do also take a little little short trip to the Mojo Verse, and you know we see Shatterstar, we see Lila Shenny, Shenny, and uh, Dazzler, and all that. And I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing more of Shatterstar because you know Shatterstar was kind of not necessarily ensla- sort of enslaved to Mojo Verse, but there's an interesting proposal that they make with Mojo and that. So it, I'm, I'm curious where this is going to go. And um, But I think there's only one more issue of this, I think is what it said, which that's unfortunate because, you know, I've been enjoying this, this series, but at the same time, okay, you know, if you're going to be giving us all these other books, then, you know, you know, keep it manageable. And what's unfortunate is that Polaris is now going to be an X-Men and not an X-Factor. So I guess that's another thing is, you know, I, I didn't, when they did the voting thing, I didn't want Polaris to win to be the X-Men because I wanted her to be with X-Factor. And I, I just, because I missed regular X-Factor, or not the regular X-Factor, but X-Factor with Polaris and Havoc and Jamie and, and Rain. And so if we're, we can't get that, then okay, that's fine. But I wonder then we'll, where we'll see these other characters pop up and with what they're doing. And that, I believe, that is it. That's comics for the week. All right, let's talk. The Nevers, season one, episode five, Hanged. And uh, it's it's so funny. Or maybe it's not funny. But when I watch these, it's like there's, there's characters that I just, I don't know their names. I don't realize who they are. And then it'll be like, three episodes later that I'm like, oh, that's who that person is. And one thing, I don't I don't remember if I mentioned it, but I think it was last week I figured out because I was calling Penance, I was calling her Prudence. So um, sorry if there's been any confusion. I, I, I know if you're not watching it, if you're just you know kind of curious as to what's going on with the characters and hearing about it, it kind of doesn't really matter. So maybe I should just describe this person, the, the inventor lady 
whatever. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's worth watching. So hopefully you're enjoying it, hearing it or watching it or both or neither. <laughs> um, so with this one, there's some, some digging down below. So where that glowing sphere thing that we saw, I think it was like two episodes ago because we didn't see it last episode. So there's something with this glowing sphere. Like what, what is this? Is this from that ship thing that released all the sparkles that touched all the touched and gave them their powers? And well, there's a little something that, that they mentioned later in this episode, which I, I don't know. Um, so then Amalia she has a mail company, and I I think she was with the with Doc Cousins, the the doctor dude. Uh, They're like going at it, and uh, uh, the judge is ruling on on malady, so like murder, extortion, blah blah blah, all this stuff like that. She's sentenced to be hanged until dead in the public square. So this is something that that comes up is uh, they banned public hangings or whatever, but they're like making an exception for her and we see she's sitting in a cell like chained in the middle of the room you know she's uh basically like the chains are like going like in four directions so she can't really move i don't even think she can lie down or anything and then um then we it goes back to like underground you see the sphere it kind of cracks a little or something like that so my wondering you know as, as they're cutting the boom 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 like different scenes is there any connection with uh, Malady getting sentenced and she's about to be killed? Because she is one of the touched. Is everyone who was touched touched for a reason? You know, is there like some big scheme, like why certain people got their powers or whatever? I, I don't think it's like that intricate, but I don't know. I, maybe it's just a big coincidence that it, this, this sphere thing is cracking or whatever. Then a bunch of stuff. The stuffy dudes are talking with Lord Masson. Um, there's, there's again here's where they mentioned the public execution was done away with years ago but one dude um you know he he says that he's gonna have a bunch of soldiers all around the square just in case so a uh, prince Al albrecht is uh, there so he's um i guess he's one of the higher-ups and you know because they're all lords and everything and they're kind of the ruling power of london and you know they're they're not really keen on the touch so you know they're they're trying to deal with them in in i guess as subtle a way as they can but clearly they, they just want to get rid of them all if they could probably penance shows amalia that she like x-rayed london so she like invented an x-ray so they can see like the best place to dig so there's gonna be like two things going on here from after they interpreted uh, mary's song mary has to or amalia has to go find someone underneath so they have to figure out where would be the best place to do that. Lavinia is um, down below looking at the sphere. And she's with the, the mad scientist, mad doctor dude, Dr. Haig, whatever. And she says that it's hatching. And um, she's like, kill it, whatever. And he argues against it. He says it's a terrible risk, whatever. And, and it, it, it keeps like pulsating light. So they have to like, you know, cover either cover their eyes or make sure they have these goggles on. But they haven't really said, like, what what is this? And I guess that's the big thing is they don't know what it is, and she just wants to destroy it. But he's, like, I mean, he's probably figuring there could be some potential, something they can use there. But he's also saying that maybe if they try to kill it, it, it could, like, not work out for them or something. I don't know. Uh, outside the orphanage, uh, so not Jack Nimble, or is his name Jack Nimble? Nimble? He's there, the dude that can make, like, the shields and stuff. 
and Annie's like throwing fireballs as he puts up the shields. So it's kind of like they're training and everything, but it's like she's trying to, I mean, she's being pretty brutal. She's trying to like catch him off guard and, and he's, he's good. He's quick. So, you know, he keeps put it, putting them up there. Um, and this other lady is reading an article about maladies hanging. And then Harriet talks about the public executions. They were banned. I think it was, she said in 1868 or something like that. And maladies being hanged in public because she's touched. So, you know, this is just a big show for everyone you know it's, it's showing that the touched what they will do to them and it's showing the regular people how they'll quote-unquote protect them or whatever i, I guess um the touch I, I guess they're also supposed to be registered with the police so i i don't know if they mentioned this before but i don't remember um picking up on this because there's this lady and her daughter that comes in and they go to police station to, to kind of i guess register she just has kind of like big ears like kind of like animal ears or whatever and then the the dude is going to take her away he says okay now she's going to perform and and the, the mom's like perform like, she just has big ears but they they want to kind of see what abilities they have so they can make sure everything is i guess accurate on on the forms or, or whatever and one of the other thing is like they're supposed to wear a blue ribbon at all times so everyone knows that they're touched so this is really getting to be like you know, mutant registration act type of type of thing where they're really kind of making them second class citizens, even though like with mutants, you know, they, they are homo superior, you know, they, they can like overthrow the humans or whatever. That reporter lady, Effie, she's there. She wants to talk to Malady um, and she's talking to Mundi about it. And he's like, he's like, she'd kill you in four minutes. And she's like, well, give me three and a half or whatever. Augustus is having tea with Lavinia and she has a headache behind her eyes, so it's obviously from the, the, the pulsing, glowing sphere. And she tells him that he's not to be in the city tomorrow because she knows that with the hanging that you know, things could get, get messy or dangerous, so she, you know, she doesn't want him, him there. Hugo then goes to Mundi's office, and cause I think one of his workers is being sued or something like that. They were an unregistered touch person, and they used her powers even though the guy was told not to touch. So I think um, I think this person f froze or whatever use had like fire or ice powers or freezing powers and some some dude went to Hugo's uh, entertainment club and got a little too handsy and paid the price and now he's trying to sue or whatever. And so you know they're, they're kind of talking about some stuff like that. but then outside when Hugo leaves, Effie kind of runs they run into each other and she's kind of like flirting with with hugo and everything like that and then she says that you know she wants him to get her something and she like whispers or whatever something i don't know what that was all about um penance is getting dressed and i think she just had like a bath and then she hears like a bird singing outside her window and then she's like then she kind of looks at it again she, it's just she's probably thinking like is that augie is august like if he can see through birds like you know enter like the bird's body is he like spying on her and then he like walks in and she, he's like, oh, I didn't know you're, you know, whatever. And and she then she asked him, she's like, were you that crow outside? He's like, no. He's like, I didn't even know you were bathing, whatever. And then uh, they're just like kind of talking. It's like kind of weird. Amalia comes in and, and she's like, oh, am I interrupting? And I forgot who was he. I think he was like, he's like, yes, please, you know, interrupt because you know he's embarrassed and everything. So I don't th I think he was spying, but it just seemed weird that that bird was hanging out there. And so I guess what's going to happen is they're going to use Augie. He's going to have the birds create a distraction while they're drilling to, to get underneath. And so Penance shows that, you know, she made this drill. There's like 
slight kink in her design. So, you know, she's going to have to try to fix that before they're ready to do that. Um, the Beggar King dude, he has a, a bunch of kids making hanged malady dolls. I guess they're going to sell them or whatever. Masson comes to visit him, and he says that he wants, you know, London under control. And that so that dude, Odium, who can, like, walk on the water that, that Amalia fought, I guess he works for the Beggar King. I don't know if we if they knew that or not. And, you know, I think Masson said something that they're looking for, like, a cure to, to try to get rid of the the touched people. Because, I mean, obviously they're afraid of them, that the, the power that they could could amass if they all, like, join forces or whatever. Penance tells Amalia that a couple of girls said that um, she killed Lucy and then uh, Annie shut them down or whatever because, you know, people are kind of scared of, of Amalia, you know, you know, she's like their leader or whatever. Then there's a knocking on a door. And outside, there's like several nooses, like hanging nooses out there. So people are showing, obviously, what, what they think of them. And then uh, Melody's singing. She's doing some rhymes or whatever. Penance is working on her drill, so we're just singing a bunch of different things. In the morning, Amalia checks on, on Penance, so she didn't sleep. She was working all night. And, you know, she wants to save Melody is what it, what it turns out. She can, and, you know, she wants to make the, the world a better place for the girls at orphanage and all this stuff. And Amalia says that um, she's... She's like, doesn't say no right away. She's like listening to all the stuff, but then she's like, all right, she's not to be brought here. And then uh, I think uh, Pennant said that she has a plan or something like that. So there's like people listening as they're outside as, as they're they're talking. So she, they go out there. So Amalia is going to go off to find the Glanthi with the drilling. I don't even know where they got the name Glanthi from. I don't remember hearing that. So it's like, maybe I'm like missing half the things, um, focusing on, on wrong things. I don't know. Pennant says that she wants to go to the square to stop the hanging. She wants to show that the touched are not to be slaughtered for show. So they're supposed to choose sides. So I think it was like Jack, Harriet, um, Desiree. Desiree's the, the lady that can get people to tell all their secrets. And a couple others, they go to Penance, but then the rest go to Amalia, including Augie, which was kind of like surprising. Um, then at the, the square, the marksmen are all around, you know, with their guns, their rifles, whatever. People are let in. They come running up to get a, like a front row seat. There's like railing around where the, the big scaffold platform thing. Masson comments that the crowd is kind of thin. So he, I guess he was hoping that there'd be more people there. And they're like um, kind of up in this little balcony, you know, like watching everything. So Penance goes over her plan. Nimble um, takes the place of a marksman. They they knock this guy out and he, he's um, up in the perch or whatever maladies brought out people boo um the ground shakes a little bit and is like wait is this related in any way so what's going to happen here so tangent whatever the episode the story's kind of splitting a little bit here so what amalia and her people do we don't see what happens we kind of see them after all these events wrap up and they're back at the orphanage so whatever happened with the drilling we're going to find that out next week. So this ground shaking probably has something to do with that. So more on that in just a second or a few minutes. <laughs> um, so then uh, as uh, maladies is brought out, people are chanting, drop the bitch, drop the bitch, which is so, so rude. Um, they put the noose around her neck. Mundy sees penance there. Um, her umbrella, she has an umbrella. It's sh like shoots upwards. And then this lady runs out as Nimble, Nimble like throws out discs and she's like, chung, chung, chung. so she's like kind of running down towards the gallows or whatever. Um, 
then Mason's like, shoot him, because, you know, they, they see Nimble throwing him. So they, they shoot at him, and then the, the lady kind of falls the last bit on the stairs, but it wasn't that far. far. But Malady, she has a noose around her, you know, the floor is open. She jumps through and hangs herself. And and then it turns out that this other dude, like, I wasn't really sure who this guy was, but he connected, like, electric cables to the metal railing. So all those people who are at the, the front watching the execution, you know, they're hanging out to the, the railing, and then they start getting electrocuted and everything like that. So then there's panic. People are, like, running out. Um, the the square has been – someone locked the doors, so they're, they're trying to, to get out. Um, some people go through the other way, and, like, Harriet, you know, she turns uh, – this big metal door into glass and then people start coming behind her and she gets like kind of smooshed against the the glass door and then it shatters and she falls forward and people like like trample her they're like like stepping on her back they're just like running and it's um effie and desiree so effie about you know the reporter they they both help her up and it's like weird because when effie helps her up and then she like goes off and she kind of like looks back and uh, so that was a. It, it seemed kind of weird. It's like that. That was nice that this reporter who seemed kind of cold and just you know who doesn't care about just wants a story that she helped a tut. I don't know if she knew she was touched, but she helped this person. Mundi and uh, he stands by Malady's body as it gets hoisted up, and then like her shoe falls off, and he noticed that um, she only has like her big toe on one on that foot. It's like her her toes have been chopped off for some reason. Um, Penance returns to the orphanage. Amalia's there, and they're, like, kind of dirty. And, like, so, again, something happened with them. So we're going to have to wait for that. And they both ask, like, everything go all right, whatever. Um, Augie, like, has blood on his head. So who knows what happened. Again, we'll find out next week. Mundi returns to his office, and he's thinking back to, like, the events that happened. And he he's he, thinking when uh, Malady grabbed, like, the the police chief or whatever and says that you know she only kills angels or whatever but then we see other events that we didn't see before so when she jumps out the window and runs around a corner there was a double there's someone else with like same like hair and face makeup or whatever so she, the double kind of comes around a corner when mundi grabs her slams her against the wall hits her and then when she gets arrested so they switch places. Then he's looking at this police report because there was this unknown victim. And I think uh, when Effie was there, she said something like, who's this or something like that. And so on the on the, the police file, he writes Effie Boyle. And so Malady was posing as Effie. And we see her like in the streets, you know, the, the chaos has kind of died down a little bit. But then she takes out like some fake teeth, takes off her wigs and everything. And then so it's clearly Melody, which had no idea and she just like kind of laughs as she's like walking up the street so Melody's still alive but it's yeah so i don't I, i'm assuming mundi figured it out because he's a good you know investigator or whatever so i have to see what she has so that that was yeah because i was like you they can't kill her because she's becomes like such a prominent character or thorn in her sides or whatever so it just seemed weird that she would just die you know, whatever. So we'll have to see what, what she's going to do next. And then, so next week, so there's only one more episode in this half season. Cause then, you know, there's this little hiatus and then it'll be back, I guess, as soon as they can. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the production of this. And, and what I like is like, after you watch it, you know, they, they usually, you know, cause HBO does this a lot, but you get some like behind the scenes, you know, look at like how they did certain things. And, and like with, with this, they show like how they made the crowd and, you know, because 
while they're filming, you know, they're filming during COVID times and everything. And they had a, like a lot of green screens everywhere. And, you know, so they kind of like in, digitally inserted some other people and, and stuff like that. So it's all, all pretty cool the way, way they, they, they do it all. So check it out. Okay, then Mayor of Easttown Season 1, Episode 4, Poor Sisyphus. So I'm not really sure the, the name of this. Because a lot of times, I, I like when with the, the title of the, some of these, these shows. And, you know, because when you first see the title, it doesn't really make sense what that means. But then it comes up, like, at some point in the episode where you're like, ah, there's the name of the episode, or that's why they call it that. So with this, I don't know if I missed it. Okay, I just uh, uh, looked it up real quick, which I guess I should have known this. But Sis- Sisyphus is in greek mythology so basically he's a so he was punished for cheating death twice he's a dude that had to roll the big border big, the big boulder up a, a hill so every time you know he w- rolled it up it would fall back you know, roll back down so he had to keep you know re- doing this for all of eternity whatever i'm not really sure how that connects to this this episode so anyways mare's uh lying in her bed in a room and uh, mom asks if she's going to be home tonight. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so everyone like goes off on her day. But they don't know that she's not going to work because she got suspended for planning the drugs on her um, her dead son's girlfriend, the, the mother of her grandson, because she wants uh, custody of her. So then, then later she's sitting outside you know, smoking on a bench with Lori and uh, Lori asks if she's told her family yet. And she's like, do I have to? And she mentions that like part of her suspension is, you know, going to a grief therapist. And, you know, Lori says that you know, she's not talking to her family anymore. And, you know, she's like, well, you know, my son killed himself. So, you know, I'm sorry if I'm not the life of the party. And so, so I think we knew that her son killed himself, that, you know, that was part of the, what, you know, everything that, that happened. So then uh, Zabel comes into Mare's office. He has coffee, but then he's surprised to see there's some other dude sitting at the desk. So it's Detective Hauser, this older dude. And uh, the chief says that Zabel is still going to be taking point on, on the case and Hauser is going to be like assisting him. So the DNA report came in. So Frank, Frank Sheehan, uh, Mare's ex-husband, isn't the father of the baby, of, of Aaron's baby. Aaron's the girl that was killed. But it turns out that... Um, Dylan's not the the father either. Dun, dun, dun. Um, at the hospital in Dylan's room, the parents are reading to DJ, and Dylan's like, "Why are you treating him that way? You know, laughing and kissing him." He's like, "He's not even ours." And the dad, uh, Dylan's dad's like, "It's it's not his fault. He's a baby." He's like, "We got to take care of him." And Dylan's like, "Get him out of here." So then we see Don. Um, so Don's a lady who Mara's old friend from high school, whatever. Her her daughter went missing. A year ago so she's feeding don's kid her grandkid she gets a, a a phone call from like a robot voice and with a voice changer asks if you know she's missing katie her daughter and they ask for five thousand dollars for her to let her come home or something like that so then mayor tells siobhan they're having a family meeting tonight or right now and she's like a what and then she tells her mom and so she tells him that she stole two bags of heroin planted them in carrie's car so Carrie's uh, Drew, the, the kid's uh, mom, and it backfired. So the chief knows it was her, and she was suspended. And then Helen's like, she's like, I don't know what to say. Oh, wait, that was stupid. And she's like, does Carrie know? And Mary's like, well, she can't prove it. 
He says, like, otherwise, like, you know, they take Drew away forever. And Seabomb's like, well, okay, if we're sharing, it's like me and Becca split up. So Becca's her girlfriend. Because obviously Seabomb likes uh, the the DJ at the, the radio station, the, the college radio station. So Mare meets with uh, Dr. Graham, a therapist, and she says to her, she's like, you know, don't, don't get discouraged. She's like, there won't be a big breakthrough. She's like, I, I've done therapy before, you know, marriage counseling. And Dr. Graham, she's like, how'd that go? And Mare's like, we're divorced. <laughs> so it didn't work out. So she talks a little bit, whatever. Zabble's sitting outside the pharmacy. He's waiting for the deacon. When he comes out, he's like, oh, I've been calling you. Did you get my message? And he's like, oh, yeah. Because Zabble's like, you know, it feels like you've been ignoring me. So he asks him about his transfer from the other um, church or whatever. And you know, he says that there's like sexual allegations from the parents of a 14-year-old girl. And uh, Deacon Mark, he's like, you know, I, I've been told that I shouldn't talk about it. And Zabble's like, well, you know, I'm doing investigation. And he's like, you know, you better get your story straight because if I found out about your past, it's not going to be long until other people do. So I don't know if that was a threat or just um, some advice. Mayor uh, is having a coffee with Richard. So Richard's uh, Guy Pierce. And, you know, he talks about how he only had like one book in him, you know, he, but he's like, at least I had my shot. You know, he likes teaching and everything. Then he asks if she talked to Drew's mother and she's like, yeah, it was a, a car crash. And then, you know, he, he, they don't go into the specifics or whatever, but then he's like, do you ever just take time for yourself? And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, Saturday's, uh, Saturday's my birthday. Not that I expect anything from you. He's like, but I want to take you out. And she's like, where? He's like, well, I haven't figured it out yet. So they're going to go out on a date. Don's um, at the gas station, you know, so where she works and, you know, she's at the register. She's like counting money and she's like thinking about it, you know, $5,000. So she tells um, a friend, Beth, which is Freddie's sister. So Freddie's uh, the guy that um, was stealing her stuff that Mayor had to chase after. And um, so Beth is like, it's a scam. She's like, you know, you need to tell Mayor about that. And then she's like, you know, I heard Mare's not working anymore. And she had some sort of breakdown. I think Don said this. She's like, you know, she had some sort of um, breakdown. And, you know, then, but Don's like, I, I feel like I may have played a part in that. Um, but then uh, Beth's like, no, no. And part of it is because the whole thing where, you know, Don's saying that the police aren't doing anything. You know, they don't know what happened to her daughter. They haven't found her. They, so it's like, they're not, and Mayor's like, it was in charge of the case. And, you know, she says nothing personal, but, you know, there's been all this tension and stuff like that. But then uh, Don finds out that Freddie is staying with Beth and he's living in a basement. And, you know, she says that, well, you know, cause I think he like OD'd recently. So, you know, he's recovering and he's, he's better now. Carrie shows Drew um, her new place. So it's basically like just big studio and um, then she shows him his bed. It was, and you know, so like from the bed, you can see the kitchen table and everything like that. So, uh, you know, she's trying, but you know, it's like he, the kid doesn't even get his own room or anything. And she, you know, she doesn't have her own room. The mayor's looking at old pictures and videos. And then, uh, you know, there's one like Carrie talking about being exhausted, and, and she mentions journals or something like that. Then she gets a flashback to her son, and. Uh, and Carrie, they they like lock her in her room. You know, she's in there, and they they, they somehow they lock her or something like that. And then um, she's like at the door or whatever, and he's like yelling at her. And she's he's going through her purse. He's like, "You said you didn't have any money or whatever." And then she like is able to you know bust the door open, but she's 
through the scuffle or whatever she gets like knocked down and you know then he's like yelling at her and all this stuff like that he's like i i think hate you whatever and you know he leaves mary's just like kind of like in a corner just like kind of sobbing and carrie's like just standing over looking at her and she called you stupid effing bitch they were both in bad places it looks like you know for whatever beloved you know dead son he was into drugs and Carrie wasn't, you know, what was it her fault or his fault? What that, that doesn't matter. But, you know, he was like trying to steal from her and everything like that. And, and Carrie was just obviously rude and everything. So you can, it's not that it's it excuses what mayor did, but you can see why, you know, she doesn't want her grandson with this lady who was, you know, a horrible person. Carrie and Drew, they go, um, they're at, at mayor's and, um, She's surprised, and Carrie's like, he misses Turtle. So he goes inside, and then Carrie, you know, she's like, I know it was you with the drugs. And Mary's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, Carrie has, like, some you know, tears. She's like, you know, I'm trying really hard to get my life together or whatever. So then uh, then we see DJ, um, so the baby, he's, he's uh, like, in a little bassinet thing in Dylan's room, and he's, like, crying. And uh, Dylan's like, he's like, mom. And he's like, you know, but no, he's there alone with the baby. So he struggles to get out of bed because, you know, they said that he might not even walk. So then he's on his feet and he has a pillow in his hand. So it's like, oh, crap. So he like makes it over to to the baby and he's looking at, at the baby crying. And then he puts the he puts a pillow, like drops it, picks up the baby. And DJ stops crying. And then. Then the mom's coming, so it's like, okay, what's going to happen? The mom's coming, you know, she got, like, coffee or something like that, and she sees Dylan bouncing the baby in his arm in his room. So even though he knows it's not his kid, he, he obviously still feels, like, some sort of attachment, even though he wasn't, like, father of the year or anything like that. So <laughs> that was kind of good. Then we see this girl in a van, and, uh, you know, she talks about – we, we don't see who, who's driving – she talks about hating the cold, and you know, she talks about one time she was in Disney World. She didn't even realize there was places that didn't get cold. So again, we don't know who's driving. The van pulls over, and then uh, she like pops something in her mouth, and she like unzips her top, and he's just like you know looking at her. She's like, "Is this your first time doing this?" And then he lunges at her and starts choking her. So this must be like the killer. He's going after another one. Mare's watching the news, like parents talking about a missing girl. So I think it might have been this girl. And Helen, um, Helen's uh, Mare's mom. And I don't know if I mentioned her name before. But Helen's like, you know, maybe it's a serial killer. And then she's like, mom, or whatever. And then because um, she's like, you know, this is a third girl now. And Mare decides she's going to go out, you know, and she tells her mom, she's like, don't stop me from trying to do my job. She's like. I was just going to tell you to grab the popcorn out of the microwave before you left. So she's like, okay. Zabble is um, at his mom, and uh, his mom heard about the case from a friend or whatever. You know, things are messed up in, in town because there's a missing girl from a year ago, and you know, maybe Mary's in over her head or whatever. So there's a knock on the door, and Mary's there. So he comes in, and you know, she doesn't want food, but you know, he's like, you want a beer? And she's like, sure. And uh, his mom's like, oh, we were just talking about you. And, you know, she's like, oh, like super pleasant and everything like that. So then they're, they're talking and um, he doesn't think that the, the new missing girl is related to Aaron because he's like, there's no evidence that Aaron was involved in prostitution. Mayor's like, well, you know, she needed money for her son's ear surgery. And, you know, she scheduled and canceled it twice, according to like the doctor or whatever. And then he asked her, he's like, do you want to tell me the real reason they put you on leave? 
And she's like, one day. And he's like, right now, I just want to finish these beers. So Zabel and Mare, they, even though she's not supposed to be working, they go to talk to Aaron's friend, Jess, and you know, with, with her mom. You know, so like, like, why would Aaron lie about Dylan being DJ's father? And she says that Aaron liked the idea of him having that kind of love in him or whatever like that. And then Mare asks if Aaron talked about needing money for the ear surgery for, for DJ. And Jess says, Jess says she wanted Dylan to pay for it, but he kept telling her he didn't have the money. So that's that's kind of crappy there where it's not even his kid and she's trying to get him to pay for the surgery. So it's like, what's up with that? Then Zabel asks if she said how she'd get the money if Dylan didn't pay for it. And Jess slowly shakes her head and she's like looking down. So it's like, hmm. So Mara kind of like ducks her head and, you know, try to make eye contact. She's like, you know, I understand you want to protect your friend. That's admirable. But Aaron's gone, sweetie. And, you know, she's like, the only person that she's helping by keeping silent is a person who killed Aaron. And she's like, you know, the same person might have killed two more girls. So then the mom kind of like nudges her. And Amir asks again if he, if Aaron told her how she planned on getting the money and just nods her head this time. And she's like, side door escort, you know, it's a website or whatever. So she has a page there. Her name is Jasmine. And you can see there's like about me, my gallery, rates, links, contact me buttons, whatever. And in like the description uh, says that, you know, she's available for like escort, whatever different things. And, you know, she's barely 18, you know, it's all this. She asked Jess um, to make the account for her because she didn't want to make it at home. She didn't want her dad to find out. So Mayor, you know, they, they see a couple of pictures. Mayor asks if, asked Jess if she took the pictures and she hesitates. She like kind of looks at her mom. She's like, yeah. And she's like, you know, she's only going to do it for a little while until she had the money. And Mayor asked if she was going to have sex for money. And Mirrors or Jess is like, yeah, but she never did. She told me that she couldn't bring herself to do it. And then Jess is sure that um, she never met up with a guy who messaged her or whatever. And then Mare asks if she has a login and passwords, and she like nods her head. She says that she never did anything because, again, we still don't know who the father is of the baby. Could it have been some random dude's hookup? Or could it be Deacon Mark? You know, because it's not Dylan, so who knows? So they, they walk out, then Mara curses. She's like, oh, I left my phone inside. She's like, I'll be right back. So Zabo waits outside or whatever. Mara, um, she, she goes back in. She's like, oh, I, I forgot to ask. Um, do you know where, where she kept her journals? And Jess hesitates, but then she's like, there's a, a dresser in the corner of her room. She keeps them between the, the two bottom drawers. So then she goes back out. She tells Zabel to get a warrant for like the usernames, or whatever, and, and um, that that contacted Aaron. And uh, Zabel then asks her, he's like, "What are you doing Saturday night?" And she says that she has a friend's birthday. And he's like, "Oh, he's like, because a buddy of mine opened a restaurant, and you know, I've been meaning to check it out." And Mayor's like, "Are you asking me out on a date, Zabel?" And he's like, "I'm only asking if the answer is yes." And she doesn't say anything, so they, they kind of leave it there. At the church. Um, Dan, Mara's cousin, talks to Deacon Mark, and um, he's like, you know, I got a report, a, a call from a reporter about your transfer, and you know, Mark's like, I already told you everything that happened. He's like, everything, and Mark, Deacon Mark, he's like, yes, unless you don't believe me. So, again, I feel like it, he's not, but he, you know, he threw the bike over the bridge. He he had Aaron's bike, so she rode her bike to the woods. She left maybe around 10.30 or you know, after she got hit, how did 
Deacon Mark get her bike and then how did she end up somewhere else? So did he do it or are these all just Reddit hearings? I don't know. Um, then, uh, see bonds at the radio station, you know, she's looking at her project thing and she's, you know, she's trying to figure out like why her brother, I guess, killed himself or whatever. Helen, uh, Mary's mom, she's at home alone. She takes out some frozen peas from the freezer and chocolate syrup inside the bag of frozen peas. There's a little thing of ice cream. So she's like hiding it. And then, uh, someone knocks at the door. It's Becca. So see bonds ex is at the door. And she asks if she can come in. She's like sniffling and everything. She's not really crying, but she's like, Wah. you know, she was so good and you know everything like that. You know, Siobhan was the one good thing in her life. And and then uh, then uh, Helen asks her if she if Siobhan knows she's coming. She's like, yeah, she just texted me and you know said that she'd be home soon. So she's like, you know, can I? And Helen's like, well, you know, DJ just went to bed, so you can wait in the basement. So then outside, the DJ is driving Siobhan home, the radio DJ. They they're kissing in a car and everything like that. And Siobhan, like she's like, let's go inside. So I don't know if Siobhan, I don't think she stays in the basement. But there might, maybe there's a back door or something like that. So they're they're like making out. Then they're in the basement and they're just kind of going at it. And Becca is lying on a couch with headphones on, so she doesn't even know that that she's there. And then she sits up and sees them making out, and she starts screaming. <laughs> she's like she's like shrieking. So then Helen goes to check on her and. Um, Becca like runs up the stairs of the basement door goes flinging open hits Helen like knocks her down and she just like looks she's like sorry and she keeps going so then Siobhan has to call an ambulance Merrick comes home and she's like oh that's it because you know there's like nothing really wrong with you know with uh, Helen you know there's no mark or anything but the the paramedic you know says she was uh, a little woozy or you know whatever so you know they still want to check her out and Mary's like do you want me to go in the ambulance and so she's like yeah and she sees the D- she's like who's that woman with seal bomb and she's not that i mean she doesn't look that much older and then she's like oh it's a friend or whatever um don gets another call from the, the robot voice about the five thousand dollars and he's the voice is like, i don't know if it's a he you will find out otherwise they're just gonna find katie's bones or whatever so mara's over at aaron's later um she looks in a dresser, finds like birthday cards from her mom. There's no journals there, but she finds a heart locket that says five twenty nine seventeen. So I'm not sure what that's about. Don, um, she's again at the gas station. She's looking at the money and she's kind of bundling it up, and then she's hesitating, like you know, should she take it? Should she put it in her purse or not? Helen then is back home, so she's laying in her bed. Mary comes to check on her. She's like eating a bag of chips. She's like, "Okay, I gotta. I see how you're doing. Doctor's orders or whatever." And then she's like, "I'm fine." Then she asks if she can watch Drew on Saturday, and she's like, "I have a date." And mom's like, she gets excited, so she's like, "With the writer, whatever." So then we see Don is at home. She has the money in her purse. She um, looks at her granddaughter. The babysitter comes. It's it's Beth, Freddie's sister. The guy calls her and tells her where to go. You know, turn off, uh, you know, the turnpike and go here or whatever. She ends up at this old building, and as she's like kind of just looking around, this masked guy comes up behind her, grabs her purse. She kind of struggles with it, and then he runs. She kind of goes after him, but she like runs into this big metal like thing and like falls over. The thing kind of falls on her, and then uh, the guy is like outside. He's looking in her purse. And, you know, he kind of like lifts up his mask so he can see better because there's a gun in there and he finds the money. He like opens it up, but it's just like pieces of paper that are cut up in the, in the shape of like bills. And uh, then she like gets up, you know, like her, there's like blood on her face, whatever. And she sees that it's Freddie. 
and he you know through a window and he sees her and he's like sorry don and he runs so it was beth's brother freddy that was posing as the kidnapper and he was just trying to get money from her because that's how desperate he is mares looking at the locket we don't know anything about it don comes home beth is there because she's watching her grandkid and she's like oh what, what happened whatever and don's like i'm i'm fine she's like i just took a spill outside the station and uh you know she says it's a radiation whatever you know sometimes makes her woozy or whatever and then uh beth asks if she ever called the police about the person who called and um she's like yeah they agreed with you it was probably a scammer just trying to get money so she doesn't tell beth that freddie did this to her then we, we see someplace burnt um i think it was a bernie's tavern or something like that and there's there's someone named missy is struggling and the only reason i know it's missy because the closed caption told us this is why closed caption is your friend it also gives away something else here it just says you know missy like screaming or we're struggling whatever um so this dude drags her in and like throws her into this room and there's just a mattress and she's like pounding on a door then you hear this other voice this other girl and it tells us who it is She's like, this voice says, no one can hear you in here. And then uh, this Missy girl, she's like, who are you? And then we see her face. She's like, I'm Katie, Katie Bailey. Katie Bailey is Don's daughter who's been missing for a year. This dude's kidnapping women. He's not killing them necessarily. He's keeping them alive and doing who knows what. But then is this connected to Aaron or not? Because Aaron was killed. So maybe Aaron tried running or something happened and that's why she got killed. Maybe they're not connected. I don't know, but it was all kind of nuts. All right. Cruel summer season one, episode five as the carny gods intended, which is kind of a weird title. I guess I understand. Uh, so the events that are about to unfold take place on approximately July 29th, 1993, 1994, 1995. So hopefully you've been listening past few weeks so you're aware what this show is about. That it's We're seeing what happened over these three years and it just keeps intercutting. So what I like, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, this storytelling. And it, it does keep you on your toes because you, you have to really pay attention. Like, wait, what year is this? And, you know, there are some obvious um, aspects, you know, as I mentioned, the 95 time is everything's very blue. You know, there's like a, a blue filter over everything because everything's a little drearier, you know, less um, or less, less cheerful, more intense or whatever. The 93, they're younger, you know, uh, Kate and Kate has like longer hair, uh, Olivia Holt, and then Jeanette Turner is the curlier, wavy, nerdy hair. She's... On, on her way out she's trying to get get out of being nerdy and then uh 94 is like the in-between obviously and um so yeah we'll just get into it so 93 we see both Jeanette and Kate are getting ready in the morning you know to kind of like mirror images of each other whatever and then in 94 uh we see Jeanette doesn't have braces anymore I think she like throws away like a bag of rubber bands and then she's in a good mood but Kate's not so you know Kate is back home after you know she was abducted and it's not really clear how long she was abducted for you know obviously it was less than a year and yeah i'm I'm really curious like when did it start did you know was it was she in school for a bit did it happen during the summer so it'll be interesting to, to find out when that happened then in 95 we see Jeanette gets out of shower um kate um she's in you know getting ready in the morning too 
And then she quote unquote sees the assistant principal in the mirror behind her, and, and he's like liar, and she like freaks out. You know, there's obviously no one there. Then in '94, Kate's listening to her tapes, her her session tapes with Sylvia, her therapist. Um, so Sylvia asks her if she has memories of Martin Harris from before the kidnapping, and she says that they talk sometimes, but she lied about that to the cops because she thought it would make her look bad. And Sylvia, her doctor, you know, says that. You know, she was a minor that nothing she would have said would have made her, quote unquote, look bad. And um, as, as she's listening to this, Kate's writing Annabelle. She wrote, I think she wrote like three times, like real big letters on a piece of paper. So we don't know what the deal is with Annabelle. In 95, Jeanette is being difficult with the lawyer. She just has kind of like an attitude and her, not very cooperative. And, you know, then she wants to talk to Jeanette alone. And she's like, you know, you need people who remind others that you're a human being. That, you know, they need to try to connect with her and see her apart from how the public sees her because the public is like against her. And I think they mentioned like, you know, would Vincent, you know, be on her side and, you know, vouch for her and so forth. In 93, uh, Jeanette is about to go on a first date at the county fair with someone named Gideon. And she's, she's a little nervous. Mallory and Vincent are there, you know, as she's, you know, combing her hair and, you know, figure out is her outfit you know fine and, and all that 94 uh kate and uh jamie arrive at the county fair so they're sitting in his car he apologized for picking her up late whatever that the, the subject of jeanette comes up and and kate's like do you want to be with me or you just feel sorry for me and he's like what are you talking about and he's like you know he's like jeanette's a psycho and everything like that then kate she finally brings up she's like then why were you kissing her at the park and he, he kind of looks at her like he doesn't know what she's talking about. He's like, he just, all he says, he's like, I love you. That's real. And then like, well, what about Jeanette? He says, what about her? He's like, I haven't kissed her since, you know, before. And she's like, I want to believe you. And he's like, well, you can. And she's like, I don't know. He, or he's like, I don't know what you heard. And she's like, I didn't hear anything. She's like, I followed you that night. And then he's busted. And he's like, What? And so he's like, he's, he's totally caught in a lie. She's like, I saw you with my own eyes. And he's like, so what you've been just sitting on this for weeks. So he's, he's trying to turn, obviously he's, he's a liar. He's guilty. He doesn't know what to say. And he's trying to turn it on her. So he's like such a jerk. Right. And she's like, I've been working up the courage to, to ask you about, about that. And he's like, what is this therapy talk? And she's like, you know, look at him. She's like, you said therapy was a good idea. And he's like, yeah, you know, grounded in reality, not made up stories, Kate. So he's just, he's lying so badly. And, you know, she knows he's lying. And then, you know, she's just like, okay, that's it. She gets out of the car. He tries calling after her, but then he just stays in the car. You know, he doesn't even get out. He just sits there and he just like hits the steering wheel a few times, you know, like whatever. So Jeanette's at the fair with her brother. And, you know, she wonders if, if Jamie will be there and her brother's like not really happy or whatever. And she's like, well, I know what I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, you're stalking Kate Wallace or whatever. And she's like, no. In 93, Kate is with uh, Jamie and his buddy. She sees her mom with uh, Scott Jones. I don't know if that was the, the gardener dude. And it, it looks like they're flirting. And she's like, look, 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 check, turn around. And Jamie turns around. But then it's like her stepdad shows up too. And it, everything looks fine. He's like, what? What am I looking at? And she's like, what? nothing. So, you know, she's, she's thinks some, she knows something's going on, but she can't prove it. In 95, Kate's in a chat room. And she says that she's bugging out about the liar letters. Like, who sent it? And then... Um, 
she like logs off. She's like, okay, I got to go because Mallory comes in through her window and she's like, it's just a rumor that Jeanette is going to be in a dunk tank to help pay for her lawyer bills. And then, uh, then she's like, do you want to watch Clerks again? Because <laughs> Mallory is played by Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith's daughter. And Kate's like, maybe later. And she asks, is she like, do you want to go to the, the fair? And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, those people are just so, like, so whatever. And because Kate wants to confront Jeanette if she's there. Because, you know, she's telling lies about her all over or whatever. In 93, Jeanette's dad sits with, he's sitting with some dorky guy. So this is Gideon. And they're waiting for Jeanette to come out of her room. And he, like, her, her dad tries talking like football, and he's like, "What?" Like, he doesn't know, you know, what he, what he's talking about. So then Jeanette, Mallory, and Vincent come to the room, and the moms are, and then as they're about to leave, she's like, "Oh, be, be sure to say hi to the Stevenson and Wallace kids if you see them." And they're like, "Okay, mom, whatever," because you know her mom's like all trying to fit in with, with I guess the rich people or whatever. In '95, Jeanette talks to her dad, and and you know she walks in the kitchen. It's like you can tell it's like tense, and she's like the lawyer was talking about having people on my side and she's like, are you still on my side? And he, he replies, he's like, are you even on your own side? He's like, it's, it's hard to tell with the way you've been treating this case. And you know, she said that Kate was lying and he believed her. He's like, the town turned on you, the world turned on you. And then I doubled down and I hired a fancy lawyer. He's like, being on your side cost me my job, my reputation, my family as I once knew it. He's like, I bet you it'll cost me this house too. But he's like, if anyone asks, you're the perfect daughter. He's like, you wouldn't hurt a fly. And she's like, thank you. And he's like, that I know of. So it's like, ouch. <laughs> and 94, Jeanette and her brother are walking through the, the county fair. He wonders if, if she's looking for a fight with Kate or whatever. And But then he's like, you know, I can't promise I won't pound Jamie if I see him. And she's like, no, no pounding. And he's like, well, then why'd you want me here? And she's like, you're, you're here as a, my witness. So like witness for what? In 93, Jeanette and Gideon, they go on a ride, like one of those like bird, bird cage ride things. And he said he's nervous. You know, uh, Vincent and Mallory are like watching him, like all giggling and everything. He's, so he's nervous. He's like, you're like the, the coolest girl, whatever. And then she sees Kate and she's like, oh, no, she's a cooler. She's like, you know her? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm getting into her circle, which is like, no, she's not. So then uh, reporters see Kate's parents and they, they ask her if she has a moment to talk about Kate. And, you know, she's like, she gets kind of angry with them and brushes them off. Elsewhere, um, a photographer comes up to Kate and takes pictures, tries taking some pictures. Jamie runs up and tells him to step off. And then she, she tells him that he should step off her. He's like, yeah, I, I did go and meet, meet her, Jeanette. He's like, I felt bad for her, but he's like, but I didn't kiss her. He's like, I swear. She's like, I saw you. And he says, we both know your memory's been shaky since the trauma. He's like, don't you think it's possible that you didn't see what you think you saw? And she just looks at him. She's like, it's bad enough that I saw you kiss Jeanette and making me doubt myself. is just so much worse. She, and then she's like, it's over, Jamie. She's like, congrats. You can go kiss whoever you want. And then she turns around. He calls after her, but again, that's it. He like doesn't like try going after her. He's just like, ah. In 95, Jeanette's like looking at the National Inquisitor. There's like a UFO article, like some celebrity on the cover. And there's a picture of Jeanette, like Jeanette Turner, geek turned, cheek turned, psychopath, question mark. And uh, then her dad's girlfriend, I think her name's Angela. She grabs it and throws it in the trash. She's like, hey. And she's like, garbage belongs where it belongs. And she's like, let's go out. And she's like, what? Why? She's like, you need someone on your side. You, you know, you, you got to let them in. So then uh, we see Kate and Mallory. They go to the dunk tank. 
there's someone sitting there and they're like, is that really Jeanette? So Kate's like, hey, because you know, the person's wearing a hoodie. She's like, show your face. And it turns out it's, it's Jamie. He's like, hey, he's got a dorky smile on his face. And then Kate sees, she picks up a, a ball. He's like, wait, wait. She throws it, hits a target, dunks him. 94, Jeanette's mom's drinking. Dad comes in. He's like, I thought we were running a movie for tonight. She's like, oh, I don't like it there anymore. And she's like, someone spit on my car while I was in it. And then, you know, they call me some, some cursed whatever name words that I don't wouldn't repeat. So he's like, when do we start drinking before five? And she's like, well, since someone spit on my car. And she's like, plus the kids are at the fair. So, you know, whatever. 95, Jeanette and uh, Angela, they go to some like kind of sketch place. And she's like, do we come here to hide a body or something like that? So and she has keys to this building. So they, they go in there. 94, dad drives to the video store. So Vincent stares working. He asked for, like, I think, the Meg Ryan movie or something like that. And then Angela comes in and she's like, Do either of you drive a white sedan? And uh, Jeanette's dad, he's like, Yeah, I do. She's like, I sorry. She's like, I hit it. She's like, I'm really sorry. I was late to see an apartment. I was backing up. And he smiles and he's like, Stuff happens, right? So it's like, Dude, someone just hit your car. And then he's like, oh, you know, you're looking for a place. Are you new in town? She's like, yeah. He's like, well, he gets starts getting out a business card. He's like, well, I'm the best real estate in town, that the town that you're new to. And he you know, gives her his card or whatever. And, and Vince's like, I'm Vincent, but, you know, because they're introducing each other, but they're ignoring him. So the, uh, this is where they first met. So that's kind of interesting. In 95, because we don't know how they, they got together. We don't know how, how did Jeanette's parents split up. So... Again, it's it's. I'm waiting to find out all this information, and I don't know if we're going to find this all all this out this season. So who knows? Ninety five. Uh, Kate has a smile, uh, but Jeanette. She, oh, it wasn't Jeanette in the, in the dunk tank, but it was a nice consolation prize. Then she sees her two like former best friends, and they're talking smack about Jeanette to reporters. I th- I'm pretty sure it was her friends, but you know, one says that no one's seen Jeanette in months, and the other one says that someone started a drugstore buying black hair dye and starts giggling. And the other's like, like I, I heard Jeanette is even coming back to school next year. So, and then the other's like, so she's not just a shut-in with a bad haircut; she's a dropout too. And then she kind of makes like a sad face. So they're outside the monkey maze house, and Kate sees that and thinks back to 1994 outside the monkey maze her friends uh come up to her but kate says that she wants to be alone and they're like okay yeah and then uh jeanette comes up and she calls kate so mallory pulls her into the maze mallory pulls uh mallory pulls kate into the maze saying oh we could lose her in there and uh the the former best friends go in too jeanette's like i just want to talk so while they're all in there the friends are kind of like evil laughing or just like giggling everything like that and you can see kate's getting a little freaked out too because you know there, there's like there's voices from the maze that are supposed to like spooky out and stuff like that some like scary noises then uh then kate sees uh mr harris and but he's obviously not really there and all, all the stuff like that and they, they kind of see each other at one point but you know because there's the mirrors and everything like that they're not really in front of each other jeanette finally um, exits and her brother sees her he's like you need to drop this and he's like you know he's like i suggest you stop chasing kate and stop talking to jamie you know just be geeky Jeanette again and you know she says to herself she's like oh, i can't in 95 outside the monkey maze mallory asks um <laughs> she comes up to her she's like is it time to watch clerks <laughs> again and kate's like no not yet so she wants to listen to one thing first so she puts on her headphones she has her tapes with her and sylvia asks about the night at the fair so then it cuts to 93, so two years ago. So Mr. Harris is working at, the, at a game booth, 
and it's it's the one with the you squirt the water guns into like the clown's mouth and but instead of a balloon it's, it's like this thing that rises up like on a pedestal and whichever one gets higher you win so uh Jeanette introduces Gideon and then uh, Mr. Harris Mr. Harris asks if he goes to the school too he's like no I'm I'm just visiting and then Mr. Harris says something like that he's new and and Jeanette says like oh you're you're from Willow Falls and he's Mr. Harris is like yeah how'd you know that and she's just like all awkwardly like oh my, my dad must have mentioned it she's <laughs> like how would how does she know that his dad her dad even knows or anything so then uh they they do the the game with the the, the clown mouth and then they're it's just the two of them and they're both excited and it's they're like like neck and neck like almost tight and they're all like giggling and everything like that and then the the two girls come up the the, the former best friends or whatever and Jeanette sees them and kind of like pulls back uh, getting so this means Gideon wins and he starts doing this like dorky I win I win he starts like dancing sort of and they ask her like is that your geek boyfriend and she's like no then they're asked but you're here with him right and she's like no he's just a loser who was playing the game at the same time and then she just like walks off and, and leaves him there so it's like okay Jeanette you're kind of a jerk about that in uh, 95 Angela took Jeanette to the bar she works at and and uh, Jeanette's like, like, oh, okay. She's like, well, can I have a whiskey and coke? But she's like, she's like, no, I'm just gonna give you a coke. She's like, I may have taken your dad's car, but I'm not gonna bring you home drunk. So then uh, Jeanette's like, well, what do you see in my dad? And she's uh, Angela's like, I see a good person going through an incredibly difficult time. And Jeanette says something like that. You know, she's like, I just try to see who he used to be. And then there's something on the car. She's like, what's that? And they're like, that's a karaoke machine. And she's like, we're, we're want to do it or whatever. She's like, I'll, I'll go first. In 93, Gideon is, is still waiting with Mr. Harris. And Mr. Harris is like, I don't think she's coming back. And Gideon's like, oh, you know, she's a nice girl. She probably got sick or something. And then Harris is like, do you need a ride home? And he's like, no, no thanks. She's like, I have my bike. It's like, dude, well, I mean, maybe it's, I'm trying to think in the 90s, in 93. It's like, you don't ask a kid if they want to ride home because you don't let any kids in your car. But, you know, he hasn't even started teaching yet. I, I never would have anyone... In, in my car like no no thank you um in 95 Jeanette's still listening to the tape you know lots of kids played the game or whatever um then it cuts back to 93 kate walks by the booth where mr harris is and he calls he's like kate wallace want you step right up for your chance to win a prize the 95 kate and mallory see jamie drinking and she asks what he's doing he's like oh some kids got me a six-pack and dared me to steal a banner so he's a little wobbly and she asks, she's like, are you okay? And he's like, are you? And she's like, well, it's you know kind of hard to figure out which way is up sometimes. And he's like, I want to tell you something. It's a long time coming. And he's like, you were right. He's like, Jeanette, the park last summer, he's like, we kissed. And I lied to you about it. And he, he says that he thought he was protecting her or something by covering it up. But she deserved to know the truth. She says, she's like, I, I, I knew it. He's like, I'm, I'm really sorry. He's like, I don't know what else to say. And she gets closer to him. He's like, do you want to hit me? She's like, say it again. He's like, that I, you know, you were, I'm sorry, whatever. And she's like, no, the other part. He's like, you were right. And then she kisses him on the cheek, and she's like, that's the nicest thing you've ever done for me. And she walks away. So like, okay, maybe because someone believes her because since someone called her a liar, I don't know. Ninety three. So Kate's the only only player at the game. And uh, so she's squirting the, the thing and he's like, oh, you have really good aim. He's like, oh, I'm impressed. And then, you know, she wins. He's like, pick a prize. It's like, it doesn't work. You can't play by yourself. He tells her to pick a prize. And she's like, I, yeah, I might be too old for that. He's like, hey, they, they come with 50 tickets. You can get a snack. 
So then he walks out from around the back. He gives her a pink bunny. And, you know, he hands it to her. She apologizes for that night after the party. You know, for, it was like a bad first impression when she was, you know, drinking and ran on down the street and whatever. But we never saw, like, what happened after that. But he's like, oh, is like that wasn't, you know, my first impression, whatever. She's like, it wasn't. He's like, no, I noticed you at the, the garden club party. And, you know, you were with um, some moms and never mind. And she's like, what? He's like, oh, nothing, nothing. She's like, well, I'm not leaving until you tell me. And he's like, well, and this is like so like scummy, but he's like, oh, just like the whole thing is like, and, and like, he's, you know, just leaves it hanging. Cause of course it's going to, you know, arouse her curiosity. He's like, it's just a, the, the way you were mingling with the other, you know, moms and adults. He's like, I thought I, I mistook you for one, one of them. She's like a mom. She's like, no, an adult. He's like, just for a minute. And she's like, well, why didn't you say hi? And he's like, I didn't know you then. And she's like, well, you know me now. And he's like, hi. And then she's like, I'll see you around, Mr. Harris. So she goes to leave. And then he notices her hair tie, like on a whatever in front of the game. So he grabs it and hides it in his hand. And he like calls to her. And he's like, oh, I look forward to it or something like that. But then on the tape, the tape likes playing. Sylvia asks if she's heard of the term grooming. And Kate's like, are you saying Martin befriended me because he planned to kidnap me? Then Sylvia's like, on some level, Yes. In 93, Jeanette is with Mallory and Vincent. She says that Gideon just disappeared. But then they, they're walking around. They end up by Mr. Harris's uh, booth again. And he calls her over for a word. And she, they're like, uh-oh. And he says, he's like, I just want you to think about Gideon. He's like, I'm sure he's feeling rejected, humiliated, and alone. He's like, would you want to feel like that? And she's like, no. And, you know, Vincent is like, oh, it's weird that they're talking and, and whatever. Jeanette says, she's like, well, I'm sorry. You know, they, they can't hear what they're talking about. And Harris is like, I'm not the one you should be apologizing to. And then she sees that he has uh, the big, like, hair tie in his hand. She's like, what's that? Is that, is that yours? And he looks at he's like, he's like, oh, no, funny story. He's like, Kate Wallace left it behind. I was going to give it back to her when school started. And Jeanette's like, it's like, oh, I'll see her before then. She's like, I, I can take it. And he's like, well, I don't see why not. And he hands it over. But obviously, you know, he probably really didn't want to because he took it and he hid it. He could have given it to her. So... But he couldn't, you know, didn't have a choice. 95, Angela says that, you know, she knows the right song to sing since the, the walls in the house are thin. So she uh, starts singing for non-blondes, what's going on. Um, then we see Kate and Mallory, they hop a fence, and Jeanette starts singing along. So it's kind of cutting back and forth. So Jeanette's singing along with uh, Angela. Then Jeanette stops singing and just sort of like spaces out. And Angela tells her to breathe. She's like, you're okay. And Jeanette's like, why are you doing this? Angela's like, it's it's just kindness. And she's like, well, I don't want it. And Angela's like, you know, building a fortress around you is good, but never leaving it, not even to sing a little karaoke, that's a prison. And and so wait, so it's like, um, it's like, oh, so at this point, it's like, wait, where are Kate and Mallory going? So we find out in just, just a moment. In 93, Jeanette and Kate both return home from the fair. So it's like a split screen. They're both looking in the mirror. Then Jeanette takes a hair tie and she's practicing like what to say to Kate. She's like, oh, here's your, your hair tie. <laughs> like that. And, and she's like, like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, no, it's not a problem. She's like, yeah, hanging out with sounds dope. It's like, she's such a dork. And then 95, Mallory wants Kate to get on with her life. And she's like, you deserve it. So they're at a cemetery. And Kate has the, the pink bunny. She starts digging. She doesn't really dig, dig that deep. And, you know, she puts the, the bunny in, in the hole, spits on it, 
And we see, obviously, it's Martin Harris's grave since he, he got killed when they rescued her or whatever. And then she, like, knocks over the tombstone with the sho- and starts hitting it with the shovel. It's, like, it's like cracked in, like, pieces, whatever. And she's, just, like, banging on it. And then 93, Jeanette puts the hair tie in her jewelry box. Kate um, says in the mirror, she's like, Mr. Harris, you look awfully young to be an assistant principal. So... Again, that's where the grooming part. So that's where this kind of gets really, for me, it's like really disturbing that this is just so wrong. You know, having taught, you know, having a, a, a child, having taught in high school, you know, in middle school, it's like, you just don't do this, this behavior. And and the type of thing, thinking. So whatever Mr. Harris has in mind, it's like, dude, there's something wrong with you. It's like, you don't think these are children. You know, and and when you take on that role as a teacher, you know, you're being entrusted with these children's lives. You don't go up to them and start flirting. So, yeah. So and by him, obviously, you know, he, he saw that she was upset by certain things. I don't know how much he's like, planning all this out. If he he knows that she's, you know, I, he, he can't know like what problems she has and but he must see that there's something wrong. And then by giving her the attention, like the whole thing, oh, I thought you were one of the adults. It's like, come on. It's like, come on, come on. No. So he's he's clearly, you know, pushing her a little bit. Like, and she may not have, whether she thought about it, I mean, she may have thought a little bit about him, you know, whatever, but he's just like pushing it more. And I guess I don't understand the whole grooming thing, you know, or like what exactly entails, but I guess, you know, it's like kind of pumping them up, making them feel better and trying to trick them into, oh man, it's just, it's not good. So, but the show is good and show it's just, it's, it's like, it was disturbing as it was. And you're just thinking about the fact that she was abducted for who, you know, like almost a year or whatever. But now as we're getting closer to seeing this and, you know, it may turn out that, she was kind of, you know, maybe she started developing a crush on him, but she was a kid, you know, not making smart decisions or, you know, not not really realizing what she was thinking or, or what she may be about to get herself into. Because, you know, we did see when she was first down in the basement and, you know, she just wanted to get out of there. And, you know, she didn't want that. So this, this there's a reason that they put, like, warnings at the beginning of these episodes because it, it can be upsetting. So... Just be aware of that. All right, Legends of Tomorrow, Season 6, Episode 2, Meet, M-E-A-T, The Legends. Meet, colon, The Legends. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I like the show. It's silly. You know, it, it doesn't take itself seriously. It, you know, that's been a while. I mean, since the beginning, pretty much. So I, I like that it's fun, you know. It's it's a little lighthearted, less serious, but sometimes it's it's a it's a bit much. And and I don't know. I'm not trying to be that like uptight or picky or anything like that. But at the same time, when I don't for me, because I, I know it's like oh, it's like oh boohoo Tony, but you know like watching a lot of this stuff, it it gets to be like work, you know, because I have my day job, which whatever. That's a different story. And then, you know, trying to watch all these shows and pay attention to them so I can discuss them and everything. And I don't know what exactly I want out of this show. I mean, I'm, I'm invested in the characters. I've always cared about them 
from you know since they were introduced and everything so i want to see you know what happens next but it just it feels like it's it's gone it's come so far anyways so let's just get get to it so it starts off and this this like this first scene kind of bugged me a little bit they're in the wave rider and uh you know there's nate's like so there's there are aliens scattered throughout history because sarah and sarah was in that she sarah lance got abducted in her escape to get rid of the aliens that were in control of the ship she was on she opened up the hatch and somehow didn't didn't die didn't get sucked out you know she held on but a bunch of pods that apparently had other captured aliens got sucked out into space they fell into this wormhole so they're going to fall all over different points in time and, and time and and i guess that's going to be probably the objective for the season maybe but as they they say this um one alien splatters like the windshield at a wave rider so what does Roy do? Roy goes up he hits a button and, and like windshield wipers start going so would the wave rider really have windshield wipers and this is such a such a silly thing and it's meant to be comedy okay and uh the new um girl who was apparently supposedly abducted when she was a little girl by aliens and had a, a alien chip embedded in her head or whatever she's still with them so her name was esperanza spooner cruz so they call her spooner and so she agreed to be on a ship because she wants them you know she's like okay if you're you can take this chip out of my head that'd be awesome and everything so that's why she's kind of there and but she's very open to everything like like oh you're time travelers okay because yet you know she thought that they were aliens and trying to try to trick her lie you know say they need her help and stuff like that but so she's very like okay that's that's fine so then it, um where they're gonna go they're because they're looking for aliens so they, they picked up a signal whatever san bernardino october 10th 1955 so um something's st- starting up there's this place called big bang burgers they figure that if they can stop the alien, they can get it to tell them where Sarah is somehow. But this is just, I don't understand the logic in this. I don't know if I've missed something, but if some random alien fell out of the ship, which I guess they don't even know what the deal is, but if they find this alien, and or maybe because Spooner will be able to track the alien back somehow, uh, I just, I really don't understand that's this idea. Because they, they figure Spooner will be able to find Sarah. But then she's like, no, she's like, I'm staying on the ship until you take the alien thing out of my head. But then they tell her, because she didn't, I guess they didn't tell her last episode, that Gideon didn't find anything when it scanned her her head. So she's kind of mad that she's basically been kidnapped and lied to because, you know, they just want to use her to find Sarah. But she's just like, so they they took her from her, her home and everything. So they all go to Earth. They land, uh, you know, they, they dress up in, for the 50s and they go to like the restaurant and then they're trying to figure out where is this alien? So they're going to split up, whatever. The ship with uh, Sarah and Gary. So Gary, who has been working with like the Bureau, whatever, all this time, he, it turns out we found out at the end of, was it this season? Was it last season or this season? No, this season. We found out that he's really an alien and he can like, by putting on his glasses, he can change shape or whatever. So um, so they're stuck on this other ship and it like spiraled somewhere else and uh, it crash lands on some planet. So the ship starts talking alien language and Sarek refers to it as alien Gideon and you know, wondering where they're at. So they're on some alien planet. It's like kind of like a, a red 
planet and there's like you know it has like a red glow gary mentions how the ship was supposed to go after the universe's deadliest people whatever but then they as they look out the the viewport whatever sarah sees a dog with a scarf outside on, on the planet and there's like three moons or whatever then here's another problem i have she figures if the dog can breathe they can breathe that makes no sense because yeah it looks like a dog how do you know it's really a dog? How do you know it's not some alien creature that can live on some other, you know, type of environment or whatever? So she's like, oh, it's a dog. It's, it's a dog. It looks like a dog. It has a scarf. So it's got to be an Earth dog. Why is an Earth dog on an alien planet? You know, it's like she doesn't even question it. So um, Zari wants to make a schedule with Berard about the the totem, the superpower thing, because, you know, he uses a lot. And, you know, it's it's like their birthright. You know, she would like to have powers too but you know he tends to, be, to use it a lot so he doesn't really like the idea of setting a schedule or whatever ava and uh constantine they talk to a couple cops spooner um starts getting a signal like her head's like twitching and, and whatever so they they go around the back of the restaurant and the waitress is is like sitting at a little table outside the back like on her break eating so spooner gets really aggressive like like where's where what you know she just grabs her and stuff like that and they're like, hey, calm down. They have to you know, try to you know, ease her back. Then Rory pulls up in a police car. So he, he stole a police car. There was a, on the radio, there's this disturbance at the butcher. And I, get, I don't know if the code had something to do with aliens or whatever. So they were going to go check that out. Berard sees a help wanted sign at the burger place. And he apparently worked at a burger place before. So he wants to go there. So Berard, Nate, and Zari get jobs at Big Bang Burger. Um, and then Nate and Berard decide they're going to be burger buddies because <laughs> now that Ray's not there, so, so Nate has to be best friends with Berard. Uh, you know, he's whatever. It's just the silly thing. Um, and then they so they need so one of them has to be a server. So they decide someone decided that Nate's going to be serving on roller skates, but it seems and and whether this is sexist or not, but this is the time you would think that they would want Zari to serve the food because usually if you look i mean i wasn't alive back then but if you ever look at the movies or anything the servers were always women on roller skates and so you're gonna get a dude which that's totally fine. who cares you know just give me my food type of thing but okay so zari and and i wouldn't think zari i think because this is a like like a social media zari you know who spoiled zari so i think she would I would think she would probably rather soof serve soof. She'd rather serve food than cook it, be in the hot, greasy kitchen. But I guess not. I mean, I know she probably wouldn't want to do either. So back on the red planet, uh, Sarah asks Gary if he has any sort of like alien tracking sensors or anything like that, and he's like, "No." He's like, "I'm not that that different than you are." And she says, "Except that you." eat people because you know that's what one of the aliens one of the other aliens did and he's like well we come from a very savage planet so they, they find a dog and it has like something in it, its mouth i was like wait was that a leg or something because they're like where'd that come from or i don't know what it was maybe it wasn't a leg but then and i didn't bother rewinding it ava spooner and constantine um and rory they arrive at the butcher spooner starts getting some sort of signal headache thing again so Rory's like, oh, something's in the back. So they, they go back there, like in the, the freezer section, there's like all this meat hanging. And something's like, shoo, shoo, something's like running around, like, because it's dark in there, of course. And uh, it turns out it's a Big Bang Burger mascot. 
And so he was like, because you see him like grabbing, like trying to grab pieces of meat and just like shove it in his mouth. And because they, they, at first it's like, wait, is this the alien? They lift up his, the, the mask, that headpiece of the costume. And this guy, he's got like a meat juice like all over his face, which is kind of gross. Um, on a red planet, they're still going after the dog. Um, dog leads him to this little hut. Sarah, she's just going to go right up to it. And then this lady with the spear comes out. She looks like human. And she asks, like, who, who are they? And Gary's like, oh, it's, it's Amelia Earhart. Because he has, like, these, like, trading cards of, like, powerful women or something. Whatever. Burrard's, like, he's all getting into the zone while he's cooking, like, taking in the odor, whatever. And he's, like, talking to his burger. He's, like, release, you know, any tension you have, whatever. But, and, and this is what I wonder. It's, like, why isn't Zari serving? And it's also, it was kind of weird that there wasn't a single other worker at this restaurant. And uh, the waitress that hired them, we don't even see the owner. We see him later in this episode. It's like, wait, why wouldn't he hire them? But, you know, she's like, business is booming, whatever. And there's no one else working. And I'm assuming it's just because of COVID times or whatever. And, you know, they, they can't have as many people on set. So they're trying to keep it to the, the... So maybe we're just not supposed to worry about that. And I know it's nitpicking, but... Whatever. Um, so they they brought they bring the burger mascot on the wave rider Spooner. She's like something like oh just read a spell and find out and she grabs a magic book and starts like reading something. But John grabs it. And he's like don't finish that whatever that sentence. And then he does some other spell. The kid uh, pukes and it goes on the ceiling and falls back on him. And Ava's like I've seen that whatever. And she realizes that his puke, which is kind of gross, is actually the Big Bang Burger sauce. And Spooner's like, no, that's that's the alien. That's what she's detecting. So Ava, Ava calls Berard um, and tells him to stop serving the burgers because the sauce is the alien. So anyone who eats it apparently goes super crazy or something like that. And then they they show like four people like chomp, like different people chomping into the burgers. And it's kind of ridiculous because they got like sauce like all over their mouths. Like who eats like that? I mean, I, I don't care how good the burger is. You're not just going to be like, rah, 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 just get it all over your face. So whatever. It's just exaggerated. So they go out and uh, they tell people outside that there's like a health code violation trying to get them to, to leave and stuff like that. Now we finally see the owner at a restaurant. He's like, you know, what are you doing? Where are my customers? And then he, he sees them with a couple like containers of the secret sauce. So he thinks that they're trying to steal it. And he's like, I thought, he says to Berard, he's like, I thought your cooking was too good to be true or whatever. So they they tell the owner that people are going to die. And then the other waitress comes, you know, he doesn't believe him. But then the, the, the only other waitress we saw, she comes out and like attacks him. And, you know, because she wants the sauce, whatever. Then they ask the owner where the sauce comes from. And he's like, I don't know. He's, he's like, he says his wife makes the sauce at their house and she won't tell him how he makes it, which seems kind of weird. So Sarah's talking to Amelia Earhart, you know, how did she get there? And she says, that, you know, her engine was sputtering. She hit her head. She woke up there. She thought it was heaven or something. And then um, Sarah says that she's trying to repair her aircraft. So maybe she, Amelia Earhart could take a look at it. But it's like, wait, okay, you're on a alien spaceship. Why the heck would Amelia Earhart be able to fix an alien spaceship? When she flies an airplane, she may not even know how to fix a, a, a plane engine from her time, but she's going to know what's wrong with the alien spaceship. 
then uh, Samelia or her, she's like, you have an aircraft? She's like, I could go home? Because we don't, you know, how long has she been there? Why hasn't she aged? You know, what's going on? Um, the others arrive at the owner's house. Spooner starts getting like some vibes or whatever. And, you know, she explains, she's like, I can't speak aliens, whatever. I can't speak to them. She's like, I can just sense them. So Ava goes into the house. She knocks on her. And the, the lady, you know, she's like, oh, which police officer are you married to? Because she's like, oh, you're with the police. Which one are you married to? Because she's a woman. The woman wouldn't be a police officer or whatever. So they start talking about, like, the, the burger restaurant and the secret sauce, whatever. Then Ava's like, like come on. It's like, what, what's your what's the secret recipe? You know, she's like, come on. Just, just tell me. And it's like, they just met. And so this lady's going to tell her Then she's like, okay, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll tell you. Don't be, you can't tell anyone. You know, she like swears at her secrecy or whatever. And she's like, it's rice vinegar from the East. It's exotic. So Ava's like, yeah, whatever. So she's going to leave. But then as she's like walking out of the kitchen, like some sauce drips on her face and she looks up and there's like this little vent in the ceiling and she's like, oh, I'll, I'll see myself out. And like walks out. So at the restaurant, there's some like crazy people are, are trying to get into the restaurant for more sauce. Ava actually goes upstairs to the attic. Um, Spooner and John, they're like sitting outside by the car and like by the driveway. And she sees like this weird box like in a garage. So she wants to go there. And I guess it's like a giant air feeder or some whatever stuff. So that's like where the sauce maybe comes from. I don't know. Um, Ava in the attic finds like a pulsing cocoon. And she's like looking at this, and then the the owner's wife knocks her out. And then she goes up to the cocoon, she starts caressing it, and like, ooh, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> Ava wakes up, she's tied to a chair, and she explains that, you know, her it was her wife or her fiance, or whatever, was abducted by aliens, and that's what this this thing is. And then, you know, she, the lady's like, I don't care what what you know what it is, it's mine. And She's you know, keeping, you know, she said, this is what's keeping the restaurant going. And we see like a flashback. She, you know, made like this boring dinner and then the sauce like dripped on the food. And right when the husband was going to eat it and he thought it was like her secret recipe. So he really liked it. So she says that the alien found its way into their attic. The universe gave this alien to them to save her marriage. And Ava's like, but it's growing. She's like, it could take over the whole town. And the lady's like, you're right, she's growing. We could franchise. And she goes on and on. And then Spooner comes and knocks her out. So at the restaurant, uh, the crazed people are, are starting to break in. Zari suggests some of her dragon ash because she has like this powder stuff that she puts in water or whatever. And she's like, just a little bit will calm their nerves or whatever. Which is like whatever. So Berard gives her the totem while because they they figure they could sprinkle it on the food. So he's gonna cook. She's gonna use a totem, and uh, it's 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 so silly. Anyways, um, Spooner says that the aliens. So back we cut to them. The aliens gonna be hungry when hungry when it hatches, and it's been kind of like fattening out the town. So when it comes out, it's like this big moth thing, and right away it eats the the owner's wife. So Zari, she's so Zari has a totem now. She's just so stupid. She's using the totem to float the burgers off the grill onto plates because, and the way it's going, it's not that much faster if she would have taken a spatula and just plopped it on her herself. So it's like okay, the good use of superpowers or whatever. And and then uh, and then Nate's taking the plates. And then he starts like throwing the burgers at the people and then they start chowing down and, and right away they start falling asleep. 
So like this this powder that's supposed to calm their nerves somehow is making these people fall asleep right away. Like, I don't know. So the moth flies to the burger place and they're trying to figure out how, how are they going to deal with it? Spooner shoots it with her gun. I, they, I don't know if they explain how she made these guns, where she got these guns from. But she shoots like this this gun at it. Um, the, the the moth hits like the burger place sign and it's just, it just fries and everything and it's dead. So that was it. Just like that. It's it's over. Back on a, on a wave rider, Ava's having a drink. Um, a spooner comes up. She's like, oh, you double fisting because she poured. Just, Ava accidentally, she poured like a second one for Sarah because out of habit, whatever. So she offers it to Spooner. Ava apologized for being so desperate, not telling her everything. But Spooner's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's fine. And uh, then Ava's like, so what happened to you when you were a kid? And Spooner's like, I don't really talk about it. And she's like, I was with my mom and, you know, they, they took us and I don't know where. And then I woke up and she was gone. And, she, you know, she's like starting to tear up. She's like, you know, I don't have anything left. And he was like, well, you have us if you stay. And then she's like, you know, I don't know how to control this thing in my head, whatever. And he was like, well, you know, you can learn. And Spooner's like, well, it's not over. There's more aliens out there. She's like, I guess you know, I could keep shooting them until you find Sarah and I get get closer. So she wants to just keep killing aliens. And Ava's like, no, uh, okay. Zari and Berard watch the news. The waitress that was there, like the one other waitress, she decides to reopen the restaurant under a new name. And it's going to be Big Belly Burger, which is in the DC Comics. And I don't know if they mentioned it. They, I think they may have mentioned in Flash. I don't know. Berard decides to um, share the totem with Zari, but she's like, no, that's fine, whatever. Because, you know, part of it, he's, there's a whole thing about how he used it and that was like his identity because, you know, she was like, he was kind of jealous of her, whatever. There's this whole thing. And she's like, no, I don't need, you know, I don't need to take away your power or whatever, you know, to have my own. And just like, so the other Zari is like listening and I'm not really sure she's sitting in is she exists separately because she was like in the i don't know if she was in john's mansion mystery mansion but then she's like uh she's like i can't take this anymore she snaps her finger and then there's two totems so now zari and berard each have their own totem so they can both have powers Back on an alien planet, um, uh, Amelia Earhart's like she keeps repeating herself, saying, "You know, she wished she had an answer for her. You know, she was flying, bumped her, you know, all this stuff like that." So then Sarah decides to get up, and she's like, "Where are you going?" She's like, "Yeah, I just need to get out of here." And then she, Amelia Earhart, runs at Sarah like super fast across the room, and she opens her mouth. There's like all these sharp teeth and like a sharp tongue, and it kind of like pierces Sarah's arm. And then uh, they like get out of there, and Sarah's like in pain. And then, uh, you know, Gary's trying to help her. Then you see, like, a bunch of lights out, like, outside, like, all around him. And then it fades to black. So that was it. <sighs> so, uh, I don't know. And it's, it's, it's weird just how they're doing things separate. Like, the whole thing, like, let's separate Sarah and Gary. And maybe this is a way for them to film things with less people around. And, you know, having the legends, like, split up. I don't know, maybe. And so, you know, maybe this is just the easier way to make it work because of COVID conditions, which that's fine. You know, at least we're getting new episodes and, and they're staying safe and the crew's staying safe. So there you go. With The Flash, uh, season seven, episode nine, Timeless. So it picks up from the last uh, episode. Iris is standing over Alexa. So Alexa was a new person that came in that was really... Um, the still force 
and uh, Norik killed her. And Iris is like, you kill Alexa. And Barry yells. He Didn't he say, I think he said his last name. He's like, He's like, I'm supposed to protect lives, not destroy them. And Nora's like, I'm helping you clean up your mess. He's like, when you brought me back, you brought this monster uh, and, you know, you and your lightning rod, um, Iris. So Alexa came there, but, you know, she didn't want to. She trusted Barry because she felt a connection to him. So the forces have merged with people, and she says it's unnatural. And he's like, I won't help you, you know, kill again. And Nora's like, my beautiful boy, you have no choice. And she's like, even if you don't, they'll kill everyone that you care about. And she says to, to help her, and he's like, no. And she's like, you have to help me. And she like flickers with lights, like all, you know, all angry and everything. So then, uh, Caitlin, Cisco, and Chester are there, and you know, Lex's body is like laying on a med on a table, whatever, in the, the med lab. We know she's dead. So Caitlin's like, oh, what a day! First Frost goes to jail, and now Alexa's dead. Not quite the same thing, but okay. Barry says that you know there's no proof that he created the other forces, and even if it's true, you know then they were born on the same day that Nora was. So that they're going to do some handy dandy computer simulation to find out to see like new isotopic signatures. Cisco then he's talking to his girlfriend Camilla about Nora killing the other you know force whatever, and he's like concerned. He so he somehow puts like some filter on her camera where she can detect the other forces. And I think she says something about wanting to go to San Francisco because her friend like opened up like a, a gallery. So maybe, you know, she could show like her pictures there or something like that. Uh, but, but then, uh, and they don't really say much about it, but Cisco's like, you know, with their thing that if she detects one of the other forces to run the other way, which like, that's not going to do any good. Cisco then returns to star labs. Barry um, thought all night about how to fix this and he's like, we have to wipe the other forces from existence. So he's going to go back in time and change history. And Cisco's like, you're talking about creating another flashpoint. Barry's like, no, it's like, I can do it. He's like, you know, I convinced Alexa to come here. So her death is my fault. And he's like, I'm not killing them. I'm uncreating them. And Chester's like, well, if something goes wrong, you could lose your speed. And Barry's basically like, yeah, oh, well. But then he loses his speed. But then what about all the lives that he can't save moving forward because he doesn't have his speed anymore. But then Iris is like, well, you know, something could go wrong and Nora could, could die. And Barry's like, she's not a person. You know, it, that's not important. But then Barry and Iris disagree over the whole thing. And he says that he's, you know, trying to save people. And she's like, you know, you should try to talk to Nora and try to get through to her like you did with Cadabra. And he's, he's like, I have to do this. And she looks at him and she's like, then you're doing it without me. And she doop, 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 walks out of the room like a little baby. So it's like, okay, great communication here. You don't agree. I'm, I'm going to take my ball and go home. So then what does Iris do? She's complaining to Camilla about, about what Barry wants to do. And uh, I guess uh, Allegra was in there too. All of a sudden, like, Allegra pops into the room. I was like, whoa, she's there. Because uh, uh, Camilla is just, like, playing with her camera. So I don't even know. Maybe she's, like, not really listening. She's like, yeah, uh-huh, okay. And uh, she notices that there's like a bright spot on Iris, like kinetic energy. And then this is when when Allegra pops up to look at it. <laughs> and then Iris like, well, if if Barry, home, oh, there's a light on me. If Barry created the forces, uh, what if there's a little bit of them inside us? So I, she figured this out, you know, makes perfect sense. So maybe they, they can use Iris as like a divining rod to track down Nora and like using the camera. So Barry 
Cisco and Chester, they're trying to make plans on how to erase the forces from existence with like an electromagnetic something or whatever, you know, talking all this made up, you know, science mumbo jumbo, um, you know, extract them from a bolt of lightning. And just like so much like, okay, what, what are you even talking about? Cisco says that they still don't have the answer how to do this and protect the timeline. But Barry wants to get the one person who can help them pull this off. So then it cuts to Starling City Beach in the year 2000. We see Harrison Wells. Flash like zooms in and kind of startles him. And then Harrison's like, how bad is it? And Barry's like, that depends on it, if you can help me do the impossible. So at Star Labs in the present, Barry and Harrison arrive. And Harrison's like, well, well, well. He's like, honey, I'm home. And he hugs Cisco. It's like, you're just gone like two episodes or three episodes, whatever. So Cisco... Um, He's like, do you really think you can do this without messing up the timeline? And Harrison's like, I know we can if you use me as a guide. And Barry says that um, he was there when the other forces were created so they can use the other Harrison that's there as a beacon to lock onto. And Chester asks, he's like, if he can, he's like, oh, so, you know, because Harrison Ford, or Harrison Ford, Harrison Wells can kind of like travel through time now somehow, which I didn't really quite understand how that happened. He's so Chester's like, Oh, you could travel back with a plus one. And he's like, of course, you know, why wouldn't he? So, uh, Barry will collect the particles. So they'll go to the exact moment. Um, and then Harrison will somehow magically create a protective time bubble around those days. Cause I think it was like 17 days. So put a bubble from that moment to today that will preserve those days from the timeline or something like that. Then we see Camilla, Allegra, and Iris are walking around with a camera, like walking around the streets. They're trying to find Nora, and they're like, oh, she must be just around this corner here, but she's not there. So then Iris is like, you know, maybe her signature is all over the city. And Iris is like, you know, we've been looking for the speed force, but we should be looking for a person. Chester is doing some last-minute checks, and then Dion, the what was force was he the other force when he went back in time he arrives in in, in star labs so uh, chester takes like this disc thing off the the time harness whatever and puts it in his pocket and then uh barry walks in he's like who's this and dn's like who am i who are you and chester's like oh he's a still wait he's a still force then what's uh, was alexa the sage force i'm trying to remember from the comics whatever so Chester says he's still still for us, and he, then he tells him Barry's he's the owner of this place. So Dean's like, "You're the landlord," and he says, uh, "Then you know, there's her talking to him. He's like, you 'You're being real friendly.' He's like, that must be because you're afraid of me.' And then Harrison starts talking. Dean tells him, "Shut up!" Freezes the whole room. You know, makes time stop. And then he's like talking to Barry. He's like, "Why do I get the feeling that you're why I'm here?" And Barry's like, "I'm sorry." He's like, "I never meant." for this to happen. He's like, let me fix it. And he's like, fix it. He's like, I'm a mistake. He's like, you want to destroy us? And Barry tries explaining that there are other forces and he's like, she wants to kill you. You know, she already killed one. And, you know, he's like, I want to fix it. It's the only way. And Dion's like, nah. He's like, I like being me. So he sees a time harness, like, you know, sitting there. So then he grabs it. Barry's like, you don't understand what you are. And he's like, I know what I am. I'm a god. And then he leaves, but then you see the harness is like kaput. So what had happened is Dean somehow he, using his powers, whatever to force, he made the harness age a thousand years. So it's like it's like super old and everything, all rusted and corroded. Or Chester, um, then he shows him that he took the disc off, and but Cisco's like thinking about it. He's like, you know, I think Dean's right. 
He's like, you know, we can't just uncreate these forces. And, you know, he said he didn't ask to be born. But Barry's like, well, Nora will kill them if we don't do something. And Barry's like, like, why can't you see I'm trying to save them? And Cisco's like, you know, he doesn't want to be saved by you. He's like, Iris understood that. And I was just like, ugh. Like, Iris knows everything somehow. And, and so Iris has got to have, like, some superpower that we just don't know about because besides being annoying barry he says that he's like every second that we leave them inside people they're in danger you know nor de declared a war she doesn't care how many people she kills and chester's like you know he's like i'm team flash all the way but cisco has a point and harrison he's like you know i know you think that this is the right choice but you know maybe you should just like really think about it and then barry's like you know he's like please fix the time harness and cisco's like good luck and do do do. He walks out too. So the three Stooges arrive at Barry's house. Uh, Iris, Allegra, and Camilla. So uh, they they figure you know this is where Nora is because Nora was killed there. So I guess she's going to be hanging out where she was killed. There's like a for sale sign there, so I guess no one's living there. Um, then Barry's talking to Joe and he tells him like what's going on, and you know he says yeah Caitlin called me and, and you know filled me in too, and he says that you know. Uh, Barry says he feels like he has to be the one to take them out since he created them, and you know he thinks it'd be safer for everyone if they didn't exist. Joe tells him like a story like when like when he first met Wally and and just like trying to understand who they were and you know what he ex thought you know who he was and, and it's like he goes through this whole thing which comes into play later. So Iris and the others they go into the house. You know of course it's unlocked. I'm they just I'm assuming they just walked right in. And Iris calls out to Nora, but Nora's not there. Psych is there. So Psyche is the other force, whatever force he is. And then the, the doors like close. And he's like, hi, mom. He says that to Iris. So then Allegra and Camilla start seeing scary things. And, you know, they're on their knees freaking out. Then he asks Iris why she was looking for, for him. And she's like, I wasn't. And he figures, he's like, oh, you're looking for the speed force. Uh, so he's looking for Nora. And he shows her what she fears most and then uh the sort of room kind of changes and iris sees nora tucking in like little barry in his bed and she turns around and her like her eyes are all black and she's like you'll never measure up so then we see hester and chester they're helping barry cisco returned he changes mind too he's like you know it's dangerous it doesn't feel right but you know i'll always have your back he's like no matter what and then harrison and barry go back in time they see the others, um, like Harrison there. They see that like that big sphere th thing with Iris's glowing eyes, and um, Harrison sees Harrison, and then the one with Barry's like, "Oh, I remember this moment." And then Barry's like, "We should go to the roof." So you see the energy flowing straight up, and then fi and finally Barry starts approach it. Um, scary Nora asks Iris. She's like, "Oh, do you think you're a good wife?" She's like, "Everything you do pales in comparison to me." So Iris is like fighting this whole thing. She's like, "It's not real." And she says, "It's like she's like, I know you're you're still there." And he's like, "Oh, it's not anyone that can just you know easily detect me." And she's like, "Well, I'm not anyone." He's like, "You know, we have a connection." And you know, she says that before he became a force, he was a person, and she can help him regain control of his body. So Barry approaches the energy then he jumps into the stream he like gasps and groans and then the light starts going into barry or like the harness thing or whatever and then he comes out of the stream in the present chester says that the whatever energy isotopic energy is starting to decrease and the, the forces are dying 
So Psych now, he's kind of like on the ground in pain, and Dion kind of feels something. And like Alexa's body, even though she's dead, is starting to like to convulse or whatever. In the past, Harrison is about to make the bubble, but then Barry's like, wait. So they, they look up and they see all the colors, like from the different um, different forces. And Harrison's like, that's an act of creation. And Barry's like, but I have the particles. He's like, shouldn't they be dying? And Harrison says, you know, maybe somewhere they are, but right here, right now, they're being created. So we see Psyche is in pain, Deanne's in pain, Alexa's body's glowing. Barry thinks about Joe's words about not underestimating your kids, letting them become who they're going to become. So then he takes a disc thing off his the harness and he smashes it. The particles float back up. Cisco and Chester in the present, they see that readings are going back up. And then Barry shows up. He's like, Iris was right, of course. He's like, I couldn't do it. So then we see Barry sitting at Star Labs. Iris comes in and he whispers like, Iris. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, I went looking for Nora. It's like, I thought I could try to fix things i found psych he's like and you were right it's like i couldn't get through to him i should have listened to you so she's like oh barry you were right and barry's like oh iris you were right so he's like i i can't believe that i was going to erase the forces you know when i saw them being created she's like well what changed your mind he's like you did and you know he says you know joe was right that you know we can't judge who psych and dion are now but you know we can help them grow into who they're supposed to be. And Iris is like, that's what parents do. And then there's a, there's like a big shake, big shudder, whatever. So they run into the lab, and uh, apparently Alex was alive before, but she's not anymore. So she reconnected with the strength force, and um, Barry's like, you know, maybe they're all connected. And he's like, you know, we brought her back once. Maybe we could do it permanently. So Barry and Iris hold her hands like over her feet, just over her body or whatever. And then blue light starts coursing over her. And then <gasps> she sits up and she's like, why is everyone looking at me? So then uh, Cisco's with Harrison and he's like, I'd ask you to stay, but I know what your answer is going to be. And you know, then Harrison's like, you know, no matter which wells it was, he's like, you taught just as much as, as they taught you. He's like, maybe more. So they hug and he leaves. Then Cisco and, and Camilla talk and everything. And she's like, how are you doing? He's like, I'm actually doing okay. You know, this is the, probably the best I've been in a while or whatever. And at the same time, they're both like, we have to leave Central City. So they're both going to leave because we know Carlos Valdez is leaving. So this is going to be his way out. Then we see Dion walking around, listening to like a Walkman. He's got headphones on. Nora shows up. He's like, oh, are you the one after me? He's like, you don't look so tough. And she doesn't say anything. Then he's like, what are you? And then she's like a reckoning. And she has her hand up, like vibrating, kind of like like reverse flash does. And that's where it ends. So she's going to kill him or she's going to try. So it's just it's kind of silly. But that's the episode. So, I mean, it, it wasn't bad, but there's just like moments that bug me. But that's fine. So I'll keep watching. Of course, I'm going to keep watching. Okay, The Bad Batch, Season 1, Episode 3, Replacements. So the Bad Batch are flying through hyperspace, and, you know, like, we see Omega lying, leaning, or, you know, like, kind of laying against a, a gonk droid, and I think Hunter's like, oh, that doesn't look comfortable, but, you know, she doesn't have her own quarters on the ship or anything like that. But it's chow time, so he gives her this, like, food bar, like, cylinder or something like that, 
and uh, you know, Rucker comes, he gets his, he chomps it right away. He's like, "Oh, can I get another one?" And Hunter's like, "It's like, oh, you know, we're getting a little low on rations, so you know, probably not right now." And then Omega's like, "Oh, you can have mine," so he's gonna take it. Then Hunter has to stop him. He's like, you know, she's a kid and everything like that. He's like, oh, I didn't think about that. I'm not used to it. But then uh, when they left the in the last episode, like, so their ship kind of got hit hard while they're they're taking taking off escaping. So some of the systems are glitching, and then they suddenly get thrown out of hyperspace, and then they're gonna crash land on the planet. So, so they need to replace this capacitor thing before they can take off. And Tech's like, well, there should be a spare one on board. Omega finds the containers like, is it in here? And that turns out to be Crosshair's like weapons kit. And there, it's, it's like a kind of awkward silence. And Wrecker's like, well, I, I gotta admit, or I want to say, you know, I kind of miss him. And Hunter's like, but Crosshair shot you. He's like, oh yeah, that hurt too. And uh, you know, Tech points out that Crosshair's actions may have been influenced by his inhibitor chip. And they're like, is that possible? And Omega's like, yeah, that that's what it was designed to do. On Camino, we see Crosshair like getting examined his you know his vitals are at optimum levels uh the camino supervisor whatever tells tarkin that the data shows uh he's responding favorable to the procedure you know because they've like increased things this other um dude comes in to report to i think his name's rampart to report to tarkin and they're talking about a new soldiers getting trained by a new commander by by crosshair by and like an enhanced clone because you know he says there are other ways besides clones to get loyal soldiers so he presents their first elite squad so top soldiers from across the galaxy so there's like two men and two women and then he's talking about like you know squads like this being trained by skilled clones and together they'd make a formidable army because their whole thing is the whole clone thing is costly but you know it's it's it has good results so they're, they're looking into ideas like well maybe we can you know do something besides that on the, the crash on the planet that they crash on echo and tech are outside they have to wear like breather masks because i guess the atmosphere isn't um breathable so they're they're looking at uh where the, the capacitor thing and then there's like some snarling out there so echo he kind of goes investigates he sees some like major claw marks on the outside of the ship so there's something out there I, on board wrecker's head hurts because he he said he hit it during the crash so i'm like i was wondering it's like is that gonna affect the chip in his head does he you know was there anything that could happen echo and tech come in they put their capacitor it's replaced but some of the other systems are starting to fail and something's causing damage to the exterior hull and then they see the creature on the viewport and the reading showed that the capacitor is gone. So this creature grabbed the capacitor out of its whatever slot thing, and that was their last one. So Tech's like, "Oh, the creature is most likely a you know a something I forgot something moon dragon or something like that." And they feed on raw energy. So Hunter's like, "Oh, you could have told us that before." So he tells Rucker to stay inside because since his head hurts and he's a little wobbly, you know, Tech and Echo are going to work on getting the other systems online. So he's going to go out and track the creature. Omega wants to go with Hunter, but he's like, well, you know, it could be dangerous. And she's like, well, I'm part of the crew now. He looks at the others and they're like, mm. so he's like, OK, but, you know, you have to stay close to me. And back on Camino. Uh, the new soldiers, the squad, are, are getting restless. Like, uh, you know, one doesn't want to get poked by robots and everything like that. So Tarkin wants to do a test. You know, he he wants Saw Guerrero's camp wiped out. So he's like, let's see if they can succeed where Clone Force 99 failed. So then uh, 
and it's like throughout all this talking when they're you know talking about the new squad and everything like that the Camino supervisor it seems like they're a little concerned and i'm not sure if they're concerned with the the status of the clones you know possibly getting dwindled down or if it's what the empire is planning to you you know as they're putting up these new rules and regulations or anything hunter and omega they go outside to track the creature omega is like she's like can i learn to track and he's like well it's an, an enhanced skill he's like you know me wrecker and tech each have one and she's like and crosshair and he doesn't respond to that you know he doesn't want to even acknowledge crosshair she's like you know you shouldn't be angry with him you know he can't help it and hunter's like i'm angry with myself he's like you know we don't leave our own behind and at one point, um, the breather masks they have, you know, they're like see-through, so you can see their mouth, and there's like lights in there. But it was kind of a nice touch, because like every time they breathe, it kind of gets fogged up for, you know, just a couple seconds, and then you can see their mouths again. So I thought that was a, a nice touch with the, the animation. So the, uh, the elite squad jumps out of hyperspace, and one dude, you know, he's like, why is he in charge? And you're talking about Crosshair, and Crosshair's like, is it their problem? And the dude's like, you know, if, if you are so efficient, he's like, how come the Empire is scouting soldiers like us? He's like, looks like the Empire is, is looking for a change. And he's like, enjoy being a commander for now. It's like, we'll see how things shake out. So he's just like, like super rude and everything like that. And, but Crosshair like doesn't respond. You know, he just, he's like, doesn't say anything. On the planet, the fighters, uh, the resistance fighters were to get word from Guerrero to meet at a rendezvous place. Um, but then something triggers like a perimeter alarm. And one guy gets shot. There's smoke bombs, just a firefight. Hunter and Omega, they find a capacitor lying on the ground. And so as Hunter reaches for it, the creature like jumps out, knocks Hunter over, and uh, it gets away. But Hunter's mask gets knocked off, and he's like choking on the atmosphere. And he like passes out like right away. So Omega um, puts uh, the mask back on, but he's out. So she th- takes Hunter's gun and flashlight and tells herself that she can do this. So she goes off after the creature. The, on the, the, the one planet, the firefight continues. More resistance people are getting taken out. Uh, they're about to launch a ship, but then the pilot gets shot, and the, the you know the, the craft crashes back or just lands back on on the ground. So this blue twilight, it, it's not it can't be Aya Sakura because she's just cowering the whole time, like doesn't do anything. So they they got the people they you know some they come out crosshair asks where's Guerrera and this lady she looks almost like she's like a medic or something like that I couldn't tell if there's like a medical symbol on her hat or helmet and she's like oh, we don't know and she's like even if we did she's like we wouldn't tell you so then crosshair shoots her he's like I believe you then he asks the others like do you have any information they're like we're just we were just promised safe passage out of here you know we don't know anything so crosshair says then then you're of no use to me and he's about to shoot them but then the i don't know if it's the same squad guy because they're all wearing like their helmets and he's like he's like what are you doing he's like they're civilians he's like they should be brought in and crosshair says i'm just following orders and the guy's like forget our orders this is wrong and crosshair's like so you're not going to comply he's like no he's like none of us are so then he turns his back on Crosshair. He's like, let's ignore the clone. He's like, we signed up to be soldiers, not an execution squad. Then Crosshair asks him, he's like, you want to know why they put me in charge? It's because I'm willing to do what needs to be done. And he shoots the guy. And he's like, good soldiers, follow orders. And the others are just kind of standing there, sort of like in shock or whatever. And he's like, finish the mission. And then he kind of like starts walking away and you're, so they shot all the civilians. So Omega's, uh, she crawls through this like this tunnel like in the ground and she's looking for the creature 
and she comes across like all these different like pieces like scraps of metal and whatever objects and she finds a capacitor but and she grabs it but then she hears some start some snarling and uh the creature's there so she's got the light and she's got the gun she raises the gun but she's like scared and you know she's never shot you know anyone so she's hesitant hunter wakes up and realizes omega's gone so he starts following her tracks she's still on the ground she's like cowering and then um you know hunter can be heard and you know the light turns off and the creature like turns away so it stops snarling when the light was off and it kind of goes back at the capacitor so then she turns it on and kind of like tosses it so the creature goes after the flashlight starts like chomping and you know trying to drain the energy and she takes the capacitor and crawls out and then hunter's asks, she's like are you okay he's like what were you thinking going down there she's like i was completing the mission and he's like you know he sees that she has his gun and she's like don't worry i didn't use your blaster on Camino, the elite squad ship returns with one less member. And, uh, you know, Tarkin notices right away. Crosshair says that Guerrero is already gone. And then Tarkin mentions to uh, Rampart, he's like, well, the, you know, the clone initiative is a pro- cost prohibitive relic of the past, but it still serves a purpose. So he says, you know, they're working on training others. And Tarkin's, you know, he says that, but this seems like it's a success. So he tells the guy, he's like, I'll leave the project in your hands, Admiral. So I don't know if the guy got a promotion or whatever. So then uh, the uh, the Camino person's talking to another, and it says that you know if Rampart has his way, constricted um, soldiers will make clones obsolete. So this one you know fears for the future of their operations. So I think they're just concerned about the money. So you know he fears for the future of their operations. He's like, we'll just have to ensure our clones remain essential. And they say something like the the gen- original genetic material from Django Fett is continuing to degrade. So then the other is like, then it's time to begin the next phase. And they're talking about like an experiment to make a superior clone. So Crosshair and Elite Squad they return to like uh, the the Bad Batch's old quarters, and he just kind of looks around, and you know everything's it's like pretty bare. And, you know, they don't have, like, all their personal stuff, but, you know, there's a notch is still on the wall. He just, like, walks over, sits on a bunk, and, like, doesn't say anything. On the, the ship, the uh, tech, they take off. Rucker comes in and asks Omega to come with him and close her eyes. So they go into, you know, this other part. And he made her her own room. And, you know, she climbs up the cell part and goes in there. There's, like, a curtain. And he's like, what do you think? She's like, it's perfect. And, you know, like, his, his stuff animal thing whatever is in there too and she's like i've never had my own room before and hunter's like well you know you are part of the squad now and then that's where it ends so kind of a weak ending i don't you know all this omega stuff uh i'm i'm yeah i don't know i mean i'm not i'm not ruling out omega completely but i don't know how necessary she is but it's whatever that's fine so it was it was a good episode okay and now Jupiter's Legacy. So I'm going to talk about the whole season. I'm not going to go through it uh, episode by episode. I'm, I'm going to go through most of it. I'm going to do spoilers. I really strongly recommend that you watch this show. This is really, I really enjoyed it. I watched it all pretty much um, on Saturday, and uh, it, it, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was, it was really, really uh, good production. I'm surprised by the like the costume because when you see their their costumes. You know, costumes sometimes don't, don't translate well into live action. But when you first look at them, it's like, whoa. But then when they're moving around and everything, it, it just it does work somehow. And they, they do some 
some some good production. There's a really good production value here. There's this fight which I'll talk about, and uh, I uh, Mark Miller, if you follow him on Instagram, and I don't know where else these are available, but they there's like he's been showing different clips, like behind the scenes stuff, and just seeing how they did this whole mountain battle was just really cool because you know you have all these heroes fighting the big bad guy Black Star. And they're like fighting at him and stuff like that. And, you know, they're all in harnesses. So rather than do it like all CG and have them come in, I'm sure there was some CG involved, but they actually have them in harnesses. Like they're actually flying towards them and doing all this different stuff. And, you know, a lot of like practical effects, you know, even though, you know, the, the background's green screened and everything like that. So they did a really good job. And, you know, if you've read the comic, it's it's pretty accurate. Uh, I You know, maybe some things are slightly different order or whatever. Um, I, I, I do want to go back and read the comic because it's, it's been a while. But I I just really enjoyed this, and um, I believe it was like the number one watch show, you know, over the weekend in the world or something like that. So that's it, it's no surprise. So I'm gonna go through most of the episodes. I'm gonna try to go fast, so this doesn't end up being like you know an hour long segment, and then uh, kind of like the the second half of the season, I'm, I'm just gonna kind of gloss over and, and go a little lighter on the spoilers because again i you know want you to watch it so kind of like how i do with the movies you know i don't spoil the whole thing in movies because i feel like you need to watch it so it starts off episode one um, by don's early light we see some kids are playing superhero like you know uh utopian lady liberty they're arguing over like having powers and stuff like that so the two of the kids um brandon and chloe are, are there playing with this other kid and the girl ends up having like some high-pitched power scream or something like that or an eyes glow so then the the kids are playing with because she's like i got you and you know he's like no you didn't whatever and then so he ends up like taking off and it turns out that these kids their dad is really the utopian and uh you know he tells chloe he's like you just use your powers and you know he's like you have them for a reason and you know you have to know it's easy to hurt people and you know just get angry or whatever and, you know, he's like, bad guys are people, too. You know, we catch them and lock them up. You know, we have a code. And then he is like, okay, who wants ice cream? So they're like, yeah, yeah. And then he hears an explosion or whatever. People are in trouble. So he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I got to go type of thing. So it's like, <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> and that's probably how their whole childhood was, probably. So then years later, it's like now uh, we see Brandon sitting in a, in a diner. He hears something and runs outside he, in the alley. He, like you know changes into his costume or things as he's running down there's a shootout with the police there's these guys in like eight masks with assault rifles and stuff like that then this lady appears and you know they tell her to get out of the street you know they're robbing the armored truck and she's like no i'm robbing it and then she like kind of armors up blasts them brandon shows up so he's going by paragon and she tells him that he's in over his head um, she like flies away or, or he like f- flies at her. She sends him flying into a building. She like knocks him back or whatever. And she's about to blast him again. But then Utopian comes and he grabs her fists and he sends her like flying up to the ceiling. She hits the ceiling and like falls to the ground. They ask Brandon, he's like, you know, what are you doing? He's like, you're supposed to call for backup. He's like, do better next time. So it's not like, hey, good job trying to you know save some lives. Stop this. But it's more like, you know, he just criticizes him. So then um, at the Samson home, Sheldon, um, Utopian, he hears the news of Blackstar getting arrested, whatever, you know, all this stuff like that. Um, Sheldon uh, then and his wife, Grace, are in the kitchen. Um, they get along really well. They're, you know, lovey-dovey, even though they've been, you know, they got two grown-up kids. They're talking about Brandon. 
And uh, Sheldon's like, you know, he has to get it together if he's ever going to take my place. You know, he's too emotional. He gets distracted. He's not ready. You know, maybe he never will be. And then it's not really clear. It's like, did Brandon overhear this? You know, does he have superheroing or not? Um, then Walter, Sheldon's brother, so his uncle, is there. And, you know, he asks, what was Sheldon like? You know, what was his dad like when he was younger? And we see a flashback, you know, the family business. They own, like, steel mills or whatever. And, you know, nothing really telling there. Then, uh, you know, so it's a family um, Sunday dinner. Chloe's not there. Then um, then you hear, like, a whoosh. So Chloe arrives late. And it's almost like she's drunk or something. There's a discussion over her recent magazine photo shoot. And then Sheldon's like, oh, yeah, I saw it. And she, then she's like, oh, you saw it? And he comments, he's like, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. But, you know, you could have worn more clothing. And, you know, he talks about how powers are a gift. They start arguing um the, you know she like says something you know to him the mom makes her apologize and then she gets up she's like thanks for dinner it's the last one i'm coming to brandon goes out after her and you know they're talking about that he's like you know i grew up with him as a father too and she's like you know why do you stay here and he's like well someone has to be the next utopian and she's like why so then um later walt and sheldon talk about some stuff and then um so brandon's out at a club um, he talks to this guy, Barry, his friend, and he says that, you know, he knows how it's hard to live up to his father's standards. Um, he wants Brandon to uh, be the next utopian, but, you know, he says that he can't put his life on hold or whatever. Then we see in the past, Sheldon's out in front of a building and people are panicking because the stock market's crashing. Then, uh, you know, he goes upstairs or he goes, you know, to talk to his dad and, and they're on a phone, you know, all this stuff's going on and Walt's uh they're like you know trying to figure out what's going on so then dad he gets up he's gonna go up they're like where's dad he's like up on a roof or something like that so um so sheldon goes up there and they're talking everything like that and they're about to go back in but then his dad jumps off the building in front of sheldon so in the present sheldon and walter go to their um old headquarters and they talk about different things they talk about his codes and then they find out that black star somehow escaped supermax so two other um power people are watching this battle from a distance so black star is there and uh, he apparently has an antimatter heart so utopian and grace um grace's utopian's wife lady liberty they come flying down the mountain whatever more heroes come brandon's there um walt's there um barry uh, brandon's friends there's some other people there so they're all like taking on black star so this is the big big fight there's like some casualty this um some lady, uh, Barry and Lady Liberty, they try to take on Black Star. Um, Utopian also comes. Walt's trying to telepathically take him down. Um, Black Star is like giving a Utopian a beating, and then Walt finally is able to break through, and his mind is separated from his physical body, so he's stuck on a beach. And um, the others, and in the real world, they're like beating on his body while Walt is like talking to him on the beach. Then suddenly Blackstar tries grabbing Walt's throat. He's like, oh, no. He's like, not in here. In here, I'm God. But then Blackstar manages to grab his throat. And Blackstar he starts unleashing his power. So he's got this antimatter, like nuclear heart, whatever. People go flying back. Utopium flies at him. Blackstar jumps up, punches him. And he's like, steps on his chest. He like powers up. Brandon's watching. Then, you know, you hear the thing about him not being ready, you know, stuff like that. So then he goes, he punches uh, Black Star in the face, and he, like, caved it in. So he just, like, punch, punch a big hole in his head. And then uh, Utopian's like, what's wrong with you? He's like, we don't kill, ever. 
And he's like, you know, you could have sent him to space or you could have, you know, figured out some other way, but you took the easy way. And Brandon's like, you call this easy? And Utopian, you know, talks to Grace or whatever. And, you know, he's like, you know, our son took a life. He broke the code, you know, after everything we taught him. And Walt stops him, you know, uh, he got worried. He's like, uh, we have a problem. So the body is on a table, you know, they're all kind of standing around it. Uh, and then Black Star is brought in, in like chains. So it's like, wait, how are there two Black Stars? Episode 102, Paper and Stone. Uh, Black Star puts on his, his glasses and he looks kind of funny. Black Star is played by Tyler Maine, so he's you know, a big dude. He's looking closely at the body and he's like, who did that? And Paragon's like, I did. And then he, he kind of laughs. He's like, it's like, oh, this is a cheap knockoff. He's like, I would have swallowed a boy whole. And Utopian says, you know, maybe it's a clone, parallel dimension, shapeshifter, you know, whatever it is, they need answers. So there's a news conference. People are questioning, you know, how did Black Star escape Supermax and stuff like that? Where's Paragon? Someone says that I think it was 78%, 73%, 78% of the people approved of Paragon's lethal means to deal with Black Star. And uh, so, you know, is it time to rethink the code? Utopian jumps in because, you know, Lady, Lady Liberty was the one talking. And he's like, you know, then, you know, 78% of people need to rethink their idea of justice because, you know, he's all about the code. Brandon is, meanwhile, he's on a farm. He's, like, throwing rocks at cans that are on, like, a fence, like, far away. Sheldon mentions how, you know, every everything that he does is a reflection on the family. Then Brandon mentions Chloe. He's like, you know, she didn't even show up during the fight, and I'm the disappointment. And he's like, you know, she's either drunk or high all the time. Sheldon's like, don't talk about your sister that way. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's the truth. Brandon asks, he's like, uh, he's like, what, like the way she does about us? And Sheldon's like, yeah. He's like, stop lowering yourself every time someone pisses you off. You know, be better. And Brandon says, he's like, my friends are dead. He's like, you know, I had to choose between Black Star and you, Dad. I chose you. And then, yeah, he tells him to work the farm and stay out of public until, you know, he tells him, he's like, you're grounding me. And he's like, use the time to think about, you know, what happened. So it's like, it's pretty harsh. Then we see in the past, Sheldon and, and uh, I think Walt are talking about their dad. The newspaper has an article about it, you know, it says death of capitalism. And there's a picture on the sidewalk. And they're saying that his dad ripped off the workers. So, uh, Sheldon's like mad. He goes to the newspaper. He's like just yelling everything like that. And uh, so it turns out it was Grace who wrote the article about him gambling the workers' pensions. So he's yelling at, at the newsroom. He's like, capitalism made this building. It made your homes. It made your cars. He's like, what do you do? You're dragging a good man's name in the mud. And um, then Grace is like, look, she's like, your nose is bleeding. And then, you know, he just tells Grace and everyone, he's like, you should be ashamed of yourselves. He's like, all of you. He's like whips a paper <laughs> in the room. And the president at the headquarter, um, Petra, uh, she talks to her dad, Fitz. So Fitz is uh, one of the older heroes, but he's in a wheelchair, so something happened to him, I forget. Um, asks if he's you know ever lost anyone when he was a superhero, and he's like, no. He asks if she was afraid, and she's like, no. Did you run? No. And, you know, they said the supervillains are going crazy out there. You know, guys are robbing banks, are killing people. You know, she doesn't know if she can keep doing this. And he says, then don't. You know, he's like, I never asked you to follow me into this game. You know, I, I was surprised and, you know, I was worried that you weren't ready or you would get yourself hurt. But, you know, here you are and I couldn't be prouder, you know, for being better than me in so many ways. Sheldon uh, then goes to Chloe's and she's surprised. Uh, she asks if he's okay and he brought bagels. Well, she's like, I can't eat them because I have a shoot coming. There's like some gluten or something. I, I don't know. 
so she asks him, she's like, why are you here? And he's like, are you coming to the funeral? And she's like, do you want me there? And he's like, of course. And he's like, Brandon could use your support too. And he says that, you know, he tried talking to him, but he can't say the right thing. And she says, well, you know, give him time. And, you know, she's like, you know, he and, and Barry were tight since like junior high. And, you know, he was a godfather to his little girls. And you know, she mentions how he was never there for them. And, you know, the, the suit and cape, that's the real you. So, and then Sheldon's like, you know, I didn't come here to fight. And she mentions how he's always criticizing what she's wearing or who she's dating. And, you know, he, she's like, you've been attacking me for so long. You know, I don't know how to do anything but fight you. And he's like, I'm not trying to attack you. Uh, you know, if you just stop pointing fingers and just, and then he stops himself and it's like silent. He's like, I don't know. And he's like, okay, are you going to make it to the funeral? It would mean a lot to me. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. So then in the past, Walt's looking at the, like the numbers for the, the business. Uh, he looks at the newspaper. Sheldon comes in. He wants to talk to, to the lawyers and sue Grace and everything. Walt's like, it was true. It's like everything they owned. Um, you know, he checked the numbers and confirmed it with the bank. He used a pension fund to pay for the expansion. And Sheldon's like, he yells, he's like, well, check it again. He's like, dad would have never done that. And Walt talks to him about how it really was, how, you know, other companies trying to put them under and like having to fight them off. Walt says that, you know, Sheldon worked there, but he lived there, you know, because Walt was like always there. And he spoke to the board. The only way they can recoup their losses is to shut down for four or five months. And Sheldon's like, we can't do that, but whatever. But then he goes and he tries talking to workers and they're, they're ticked off because, you know, it was like, what about our pensions? You know, what's going on and everything like that. And now, you know, they find out that they're not going to be able to work for, you know, four or five months. So things are, are pretty bad there. And the present at the farm, they're getting ready for the funeral. Brandon tells mom that he's like, I, I can't do this. You know, I don't know what to say. And she's like, yeah, you know, you do, you know, just speak from the heart. Then at, at the funeral, you know, he's like looking up and or Sheldon's like looking up and Grace whispers, she's like, I don't think she's coming. So at um then at his father's funeral, he ends up having a seizure and he falls to the ground and his, his nose is bleeding again. In the present, it's time for Brandon to talk. He talks about how they were people, you know, he's sorry he couldn't do more, couldn't be more. Um, but he's like not Briggs, Barry and, and Vera. It's like they died heroes. And, and Fitz, you know, then he shakes Brandon's hand, says he won't forget why Petra's still there. He's like, you did the right thing. And Sheldon, um, you know, Sheldon hears this too, so he's not happy. Sheldon talks to Barry's wife, asks um, how the girls are doing, and she says that, you know, she saw it on the news. He's like, she's like, they didn't even blur it out or anything like that. And she asks him, she's like, you know, could you get, uh, you know, Walt to go into their minds and erase it like it never happened? He's like, we don't do that, you know, especially the kids. Then a cop comes up and you know says that they took a collection at the station. You know, it's it's not much. And then um, he talks. Oh wait, no. So did I say Shell? No, Brandon was talking to her. Then the the cop talks to Brandon, saying that you know they should just like, basically you know, he's like you you did the right thing. You you should just line them up, pop them off. You know, like you did the Black Star. So you're getting this. You know, Sheldon is all about the code, but. Because of what Brandon did, you were seeing some people are like, yeah, kill him. At home, Sheldon's upset that you know people are, were patting Brandon on the back for what he did and everything like that. In the past, Sheldon's in a hospital. Um, some lady, Jane, is by his side. And so it's like his, his girlfriend, fiance. Uh, his brother's upset that he's like, 
there's there's not a nurse there watching over george uh, his friend comes in and he's uh then sheldon starts convulsing and he starts having these visions of going in to an island to save america and then he tells him that he saw an island there was a kind of a message and walt says a message from who and he's like from dad and we see dad is standing in a room and his head's like kind of like busted up like all nasty and gruesome episode 103 <laughs> painting the clouds with sunshine so we see this guy hutch he's talking about pulling a job alone he's you know he's got his crew or whatever he has this like teleporting stick thing um and you know then uh, he goes out somewhere he gets seen and then like utopian shows up or something like that in the past George is like getting ready for his day. You know, he's, he gets up out of bed and and uh, shaves and all this stuff, whatever. In a dining, there's a big dining room. The chef has prepared 99 eggs, and he's like, "I think I'll go with number 72." So they're all cooked. I think kind of different. I don't know. Then Walt and Jane come in. They wonder where he's been. They tell him about Sheldon that he's not well and whatever's wrong isn't physical, and you know he's not eating and he hasn't slept in days. Then we see Hutch. He's back with his friends. He gets a call. This guy wants his money for like the a purchase of something. And then in an alley, a couple guys are there, and obviously they want something from him. They're like they're like ready to rough him up. George goes to see Sheldon. So this is in the past. Hears him yelling in a hall, and he opens the door. Uh, Sheldon's wearing a robe. He's disheveled, just sitting there smoking. Places a mess. George is like, "Who are you talking to?" And he's like, oh, "I was just thinking out loud." But we see his dad's corpse there like standing there talking to him so then um george is like looking around there's like all these like scribblings and drawings like in different pieces of paper so he takes some of them george took some of the, the drawings hutch um teleports into a public bathroom he's meeting with this guy the big man and he was like beating up on someone so he asks where's his quantum modular and he then he threatens hutch's crew he tells hutch to take a briefcase that's going to be delivered from the Russian and Hutch is like, what's inside? And he's like, your lives. And he, he says he, so he talks to Gabby and Jacinda. So two women and his crew, they're not thrilled. This guy, Jack, he wants to run, but Hutch convinces him. Um, then it's a cut to uh, Jack screaming in a van. He's got like this big wound on his arm. They're being chased by a, a couple of powered thugs. They're like running after him. The van, um, the van is like a magic van or something like that because he's like, this, it's a dead end. They're going down this alley. He's like, hit that button, and it's able to like kind of phase through the building or something like that. And Hutch is like, oh, we're home free, whatever. But then there's a woman in the street on the phone, so they kind of like skid. Uh, you know, he tries swerving out of the way, but it hits her, and the woman, it was Chloe. So the she like doesn't even get knocked over, doesn't even get bumped. It just like hits her, and uh, then. You know, she she looks at them. She's like, asks if they're okay. Jack sees who she is, and then he like blasts her with like an ice blast. So Jack like Jack Frost, he has ice powers because he's like, this is Utopian's daughter. So he's freaking out. Jacinda tries blasting her, and, and Gabriella runs and like kind of like, teleports and then goes to punch her. But Chloe punches her, sends her flying up, and then uh, um, Jacinda goes like after her. Then she sees Hutch. Uh, and she's like, I recognize you. And he just teleports away. So he left the briefcase there. And Chloe, like, looks the briefcase open. And there's, like, a bag of some, like, kind of like crystal powder. So it's, like, some, obviously, it looks like drugs or something like that. So then in the past, George is trying to piece together the pieces of paper that he took. 
Later, he goes back to Sheldon and Jane's there. Sheldon's dressed in a suit. And Sheldon says that um, he threw threw the crazy doodles into the fire. And George shows him what he has. And I think he said, I, I don't I remember if it was Sheldon said it was you know it's probably something his father told him you know memory from his childhood. And then uh, Sheldon sees his dad again, and his nose bleeds a little bit. And then uh, he kind of like falls over. And he sees some colors, and he sees like a windmill. And then um, Sheldon leaves. Uh, as George tries to, you know, call for a doctor. So we see Hutch, he's in a bar. Uh, the two dudes from the alley are there, and they say that the big man is waiting. He tells them that they got the case, but then their van, you know, hit someone. It was So it was Chloe Sampson. And one of the guys uh, grabs his teleporting thing, uh, you know, he's like, just, just threaten him so he doesn't go anywhere. But then Hutch says, shark-infested water. And then the guy disappears. And he waits like a couple seconds, and he's like, home. And then uh, the teleporting thing is back. So he explains to the other guys, he's like, it only listens to me. And the guy says that, you know, he's like, we were just following orders. Then um, he's like, he, he looks at him and Hutch is like, the big man's heart. And then he says home and it comes back. It's in his hand. It's like dripping in blood. So he tells the guy, he's like, oh, and there's one more thing I'll need. So then Hutch meets with his German guy to pay for, um, to, he was supposed to pay on a phone. And uh, he gets this thing, and, like there's like a cylinder, whatever's in there could power the city for a year or it could punch, punch a hole in the planet. So we're not really sure why Hutch wanted this. George starts on his day again, um, but apparently he lost money too. And, you know, they're making plans. So like now he only has one egg and his, his butler's like, you know, I took the average of what you usually like and I picked the, the whatever. So then um, Hutch looks inside the cylinder thing that he got and he's like almost there pops and so he's like working on he's like some machinery or whatever and we see an old newspaper photo of george so george sheldon's friend from the past is apparently hutch's dad episode 104 all the devils are here chloe's dancing at a club this rave or whatever this guy bumps into on the floor and he starts like flirting with her her friend uh, Jana, Jana is there, and she's celebrating getting into the union. And Chloe's like all her old friends are there, so she kind of goes back with them. Ruby is asking why she wasn't at the funeral when their friends were getting torn apart or whatever. And then this other girl, Sierra, gets in Chloe's face, and Chloe shoves her. And then Sierra catches herself and sends out like a blast back at Chloe. And then uh, the guy hitting on her, so his name is Nick. He like stops everything in a, in a new in a room. Uh, so it turns out, you know, he has powers. And he's like, yeah, nick of time. So in the past, uh, there's this guy with uh, a wife and kids. He's changing tires on a car. Sheldon walks up to him, and uh, he, like, pulls out a gun on him or whatever. And Sheldon says he's just looking for a windmill with, like, three blades missing. Chloe and Nick go back to their place. Um, there's, like, drugs and then sex, and she gets a call in the morning she was supposed to be at a shoot an hour ago. So she tries, you know, she tells Nick that he's got to leave. He's like, get dressed. You got to get out of here. And then he, he's talking about a new code name. And she's like, why do you even care about that? And she's, he's like, I'm applying to the union. And she's like, really? And he's like, yeah, I was wondering if you could maybe, like, you know, put in a, a good word for me. And she asked if he can take a punch. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I got hit by a truck once. And then she punches him through the wall. So she was mad that 
you know, she that basically he was just he went up to her because of who she was, and you know he's hoping that she'll say something to her dad to put in a good word for him. So Sheldon, in the past, he arrives at this like small town. There's people on the street in line. Um, they just kind of like look at him or whatever. And then he there's this guy he at, outside a bar. He asks if he could use his phone. He has he's like he has to pay him. He gives him like a dollar, whatever. So he. Um, and his dad is like talking to him again or whatever and just like saying stuff. He makes a call to Jane. He apologizes to her, says that he loves her. But then there's like this commotion outside. So he goes out there and um, Sheldon tries to help this guy because I guess they were standing in line for bread or something like that. And these other guys are trying to take it from him. So he tries to, to help him, but then he gets punched and kick. And then uh, um, this girl picks up this picture that you know he had. And she's like, I haven't seen you from around here. He's like, well, I'm not. And she's like, well, why do you have a picture of the old Miller farm windmill? So Chloe shows up at her photo shoot. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, whatever. And she's like, I just need five minutes, whatever. So it's a photo shoot for some cars, some, like super expensive, fancy, you know, sports car. And um, she's doing more drugs between, you know, outfit changes, stuff like that. And it was kind of interesting because, like, as this, this is going out, Last Caress by the Misfits playing, totally inappropriate song to play publicly or whatever. But it's... There's something about it. It's like I've I've always dug the song. Um, she's pretty fried now and everything, and and then she's told that they're not finished yet. Corporate wants the hero pose, and the lady shows a picture of Utopian holding a car up over his head, and she's like, well, you know, if you can't be a hero, at least you can pretend to be one for five minutes. So Chloe just looks at her. She goes, she picks up the car, and then she tosses it towards the lady. <laughs> which is pretty nuts. Sheldon in the past arrives at the windmill. There's this like old house next to it. There's like a vicious dog on a rope barking at him. Um, Sheldon starts getting flashes, you know, of seeing the place. He knocks on the door. There's no answer. He goes inside. He's looking at pictures on a wall. He sees this kid from the vision that was like sitting out or standing out on the porch. And then there's someone behind him. <laughs> He's like, I've been waiting for you. He's like, let's get to it. Uh, and it's Red Foreman from that 70s show. But it's not red. It's the actor. Chloe talks to her agents on the phone, and the agent's not happy. Says that um, she's like, "Well, I really didn't want to do the pose." And he's like, "Then you know, you should have just walked out, not thrown a car at him." And he's like, "They dropped you as your as their spokesperson." And she's like, "Well, whatever." She's like, "I don't, I don't need need them." And the agent's like, "You do. They were your last endorsement." And uh, it turns out her agent's going to drop her too. And then this is when she gets hit by the van. So she was on her phone with her agent one day to hit her. So she picks up the the bag of crystal powder, whatever. She goes back to her place and she looks and there's a hole in the wall still. Uh, she takes out the bag. Um, she tries it, snorts some. Even I mean, it looks like it's kind of coarse. I mean, I'm not an expert snorter or anything. It just seems like it would hurt. She gets like an immediate reaction, starts laughing and everything. She calls her, her friend Caitlin to come over so they can party. In the past... Sheldon's uh, sitting in front of the guy with the gun, and Sheldon says that he's like, I don't want any trouble. I just want to talk. And the guy is like, he, he thinks he's from the bank. And Sheldon's like, do I look like I work at a bank? Because you know, he's all dirty and everything. And then the guy's like, why'd you break into my place? And he explains that he saw the place. And he's like, you saw it in your head? And Sheldon's like, how'd you know that? He's like, you think you're the only one? He tells a story about when he was in the Navy, and, and it's like something in the sea came alive, world turned upside down. Um, he asked Sheldon if he's been out there yet, and then his dad's like, he he. His dad told him there's nothing there. He's like, 
he's just a crazy man with his finger on a trigger. And so then uh, Red Red Foreman, the guy, asks him if it was someone close who, who talks to him. He's like, it's always someone close. And then he takes the gun, he turns it on himself, shoots himself in the head. And he's like, no! And then uh, there's like a bunch of blood just pooling on the floor. And Sheldon sees that there's, you know, the way it's it's dripping down, that there's a trap door there. So he goes down into the cellar or whatever. We see Chloe partying. Her landlord comes in, asks what she's doing, uh, you know, because she put a hole in the wall. And there's like, he sees a, the landlord sees a crumple eviction notice. He's like, oh, I see you. You got this. He's like, you all have to get out. You're trespassing. One of Chloe's friends uses her powers to reconstruct the hole. So the hole's fixed. And Chloe tells the landlord to get out or her friend will reverse something on him. And they all kind of laugh or whatever. So he has no choice. But he's like, well, keep it down. It's like some people are trying to sleep. Sheldon in the past goes down in the cellar, finds a dead family. And they're like mummified corpses. So they've been dead for a while. They're sitting around this table. There's a bunch of patterns on the, drawn on the, the wall, like maybe in blood. And then there's like some coordinates written in dirt. And the voices are telling him to go. And then there's like blood in Sheldon's nose, whatever. And then he looks back at the table and instead of the family, it's like his friends are sitting there. And there's some like some other people. So eventually he goes outside, his car drives up. Walt somehow found him. So I guess from when he called Jane. I, I don't know. And then Sheldon says he's ready to go home. So Chloe is throwing up in the toilet. Janet teleports in, tries to help her, and Chloe's like, Why are you here? And she's like, I'm your friend. And Chloe's like, it's like, I don't have any friends. And Jana gets up to leave, and she whispers, she's like, you're better than this. And she teleports out, and Chloe whispers, she's like, no, I'm not. So then she goes out in the living room. She picks up her phone. Um, she, she's, like, trying to figure out who to call, and she sees, like, her mom, uh, you know, in her, in her contacts. She's, like, hovering over it, and then she ends up just crushing her phone instead. And she just decides to do the last of the drugs, staggers to her feet. She's, like, kind of just wobbling. And then she falls back on a glass table and she's like kind of convulsing. And then someone teleports in. It's Hutch. And he sees the empty bags and he just like looks at it while she's just laying on the ground convulsing. He doesn't do anything. So that's uh, the first four episodes. Um, episode five. See, I don't know how much more I should go into. So I guess, uh, I mean, because that's, or what, what, I think it's been like 30 minutes. I've been talking about this. So it goes into um, other things uh, like Utopian talk, talks to Hutch, you know, about, about his dad. Um, something happened and George turned on them at some point and, you know, and no one knows where, where he's at now. And uh, with uh, Blackstar, they do an autopsy on him and they find this like metal sphere inside him. And it's like this complex sphere is like kind of like a puzzle sphere. So they're wondering if, uh, I don't know if maybe I'm not going to say who who they think did that and um, throughout all this in the past they have to make an expedition to this island that Sheldon saw uh, had the vision of and he he kind of has to get the people that he saw around the table or the, the, in the cellar he knows that those people need to be on the island to fulfill kind of like this vision and like Grace was one of them uh, George and Walt and, you know, there was, like, the, the captain of the ship. And uh, I forget who else was there. Oh, uh, there was, like, a steel mill worker's son was there. So that's the other thing. But I'm trying to remember what the comic, because, like I said, it's been a while. 
I kind of feel like they did the island thing like early on because they don't get to the island. I mean, we kind of see that towards the end. And uh, spoiler, since we're doing it, obviously there's something about the island and this is how they end up getting their powers and longevity and, and stuff like that. So it has to be, um, yeah, there's some, some connection there. So I don't think I'm going to go through the rest of this, even though, you know, there's other cool things that, that happen there. And then uh, there's kind of sort of like a cliffhanger, you know, not really like a huge cliffhanger or anything, but obviously, you know, it could set things up for a sequel. And I can't remember if it's been, because they're calling this, I saw it listed somewhere as Jupiter's Legacy Volume 1. So it's like, is this the first season or is not? Because there is no second season official yet, I don't think. And then you have to wonder, it's like, well, if they're going to do a, a season two, how long is it going to take? Because this this doesn't look like just like a regular show that you can just film and, you know, plop together and, you know, do fix the lighting or whatever. I mean, there's a lot that, that goes into this. So hopefully they get going. I mean, maybe they're already working on it and they're just, they're, they're not announcing it. I mean, that, that'd be nice. But I don't know. So it's it's really good. I, I like it, and uh, it's it's a good adaptation. And you know, I, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago where I I was watching. I decided to watch Kick Ass again because I hadn't watched that in so long. And then I just tweeted to to Mark Miller that it still holds up. I mean, I I I really it's it's a good movie, and it's kind of like a wholesome movie, even though it's like so over the top at, at some points. And I just realized like last week or whatever that. The daughter from How I Met Your Mother that you like would see at the beginning, she's in Kick Ass. I didn't realize that before. And uh, so, but anyways, well, I, I tweeted to Mark Miller. It's like, oh, it still holds up, or whatever, and like that. And then he he responded saying how that was his favorite adaptation of all his stuff until Jupiter's Legacy comes out. So he's really proud of it, and I feel like it's not just because oh, this is my project, I need to pr- you know promote it, whatever. It does feel like you know just from the way he's saying everything, it, it does feel like it's more than here's my stuff, I'm promoting it, check it out, so I can make some money. You you know it feels like he's you know really really proud of it, and I mean that that would be a cool thing to to just see your your vision. You know, it's one thing. I can't even imagine to have like this idea and see it unfold on in a comic, you know, with the drawing, you know, Frank Quitely's art and everything. But then to see it like in live action and like this big budget. So I don't even know what the budget for this was, but man, it's it's a it's a good production. Um, some parts are like maybe you know you could kind of question some things, but I, I think it's it's really good. I enjoyed it, and uh, you know I'm. I'm sure if you wanted to be nitpicking and go, you could find some problem. Why? Why would you want to do that? I mean, there's there's no point in that. So I enjoyed it. You know, it was very entertaining, and and I want more. And you know, because usually, uh, you know, sometimes I I am not a fan of binging stuff. You know, I, you know that by now. But I did enjoy watching all this in one day, and um, it's hard, you know, because when I watch this, I have to. Not that I, I don't pay attention, but you know I need to re- make sure I remember certain things so I can talk about them rather than just being able to sit back and you know fold my hands in my lap and just you know watch and enjoy it. So um, I started doing that a little bit towards the end, you know, trying to just it's like I just want to watch it, enjoy it. I, you know, I don't want this to be work because it's I was enjoying it. So 
you should check it out and let me know what you think of it. And and hopefully we will get a sequel sooner rather than later because it's it's um, there's a, there's a lot of potential here. So this could be a good thing. So that is uh, the first season of, of Jupiter's Legacy. So, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to go into the rest. I don't I don't know if there's a, any need for it. I could spoil season or episodes five through eight. But I just I would rather not. I'd rather you watch it. Take the time to watch it, and you'll you'll be happy. All right. And this week's movie feature is Spiral from the Book of Saw. So I guess wasn't like the original name like or, or organ donor or something like that. I don't know. So it's crazy that this is a ninth Saw movie, and I don't remember if I've seen all the Saw movies because I, I know when um. Jigsaw came out. Um, was that three years ago now? Because I remember I saw that, and I don't remember. I I thought I maybe watched. I don't know. I have to go back and look and see what they're about and what I I I absolutely don't remember if I've what how many I've seen. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like I've seen eight other ones before. Maybe I have. So with this, uh, as as I mentioned at the beginning, you know I went back to the theater when i when i first saw the trailer he's like oh chris rock in a, a saw movie like okay that's interesting and he's playing a police officer because you know chris rock is mainly known for first comedy and you know obviously this w- wouldn't hopefully be a straight comedy release comedic release and i i have to say you know he, he does a good job playing a kind of like a bitter um police officer and he has some reasons to be bitter and, you know, whether some aspects, some things that he mentions kind of reflects his private life, like marriage, whatever. So, uh, but yeah, so I was like, okay, this movie's coming out, you know, Chris Rock and uh, Sam Jackson. And also uh, uh, Marisol Nichols is in it. So that's uh, Veronica's mom from Riverdale. So I got to interview her uh, a while ago, you know, after the first season of Riverdale. So I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of want to see this. And it was almost like a last minute thing when, when I saw like this was playing in the theaters because, you know, I have my ticket for quiet place Two, which I, I, I don't know if I mentioned that or not. And I, when I bought my ticket for quiet place Two, I thought it was kind of fitting because, and I'll talk more about this then actually. I, yeah. I won't even get into that. So anyways, um, so I decided, I guess I'll do it. You know, I, I'm kind of hesitant. I'm double vaccinated. You know, I, I've been double vaccinated for a while. I just, don't talk about it because I feel like it's bragging, you know, because it wasn't easy for everyone. Like maybe it's getting easier for everyone to get their vaccinations, which is awesome. So I was like, but I, you're sitting in a theater, you know, it's, you know, yeah, you're gonna have some ventilation system, but it's not, it's still enclosed. And, but the theater, you know, you buy your tickets online or, you know, whatever you buy, you know, you can see the whole theaters and, and what they do is they block off seats next to you to make sure, you know, you are staying apart from each other. So I bought my ticket like on the aisle, um, like like second row from the back. It was in one of the smaller theaters in my at my my theater. And um, I mean, there were people behind me and in front of me, but because the theater has like reclining seats and then there's the aisle. So they, they are still pretty far. But then so when I get there. You know, my whole thing is I have a huge weakness for th- movie theater popcorn. And, you know, even though I worked at a movie theater for years when I was in high school, I still 
as soon as I walk in a theater, you just smell it like the popcorn and the butter. And I was like, oh, yeah, my mouth starts drooling. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have some dinner before I go to the movie. Cause I went to a seven o'clock show on Thursday. So I was like, I have dinner before, hopefully, you know, I'll be kind of, kind of full. I won't be, you know, tempted. I walk in the theater. I'm think as I'm walking from the, the parking garage of the theater, I'm like popcorn. I was like, well, maybe they won't be popcorn because, you know, maybe, you know, they won't be allowed to sell it because, you know, for people to eat it, they'd have to take their masks off or whatever. Although that was the same day the CDC issued their guidelines about you don't have to wear masks if, you know, as long as you're double vaccinated indoor, outdoor, which I still think is kind of nuts, but whatever. So I get to the movie theater (laughs) and as soon as I walk in the lobby, I'm like, you're I'm going to go to get some popcorn. I'm standing in line and I'm looking at the thing. I was like, I'm not really that hungry, you know, because I just ate. I don't need, I absolutely do not need the butter and the oil or whatever, and whatever else is in that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to the movie in a couple of weeks. I'll get popcorn then because I'm going to like a, like a four, four thirty or whatever showing. So I, and, and because of the mask that I'm wearing, I, I, I love this mask. Um, it's a Blink-182 mask of all, all masks that I posted on my Instagram recently. It's a very snug, like sealed. It's it's not like super tight, like cutting off the circulation or anything, but it's like really tight. And like it's oh, sometimes it gets a little hard to breathe, like, you know, it, it, whatever. So I think the mask helped uh, not smell the popcorn as much. I could still smell it. So, you know, it's not like airtight. So I went in the theater. I watched it. And um, I got to say, the whole experience, it was so nice being back in the theater, even watching the trailers, you know, trailers for movies that I'd already seen, like the um, uh, Conjuring, whatever, next movie, The Night House, which I think that looks looks interesting. Um, there is a Jigsaw. So like all these trailers, like horror-ish trailers that we've seen like already. But it was kind of nice seeing them on a big screen because I have I haven't seen any of these trailers on a big screen, and oh, there was a Quiet Place Two trailer, so that was I mean it was kind of nice and, and the movie was like ninety minutes and overall, before I, I get into some of the specifics of the movies, out of the movie, you know it it was uh it was a great experience you know it's a ninety minute movie, it's a uh, not obviously it's not not Shakespeare. Not, um, I don't know what you, what you'd want to call it, a masterpiece theater, but it was just an, an enjoyable and I was entertained and I was on the edge of my seat and, you know, even though it's like, oh, another Saw movie, really? I, it was good because I think with this different direction, it it does help to flesh out the the Saw universe more. So it does make things a little different. And I, I think that this it's a good move. Uh, if I if I watched all the Saw movies back to back, then I, you know that might be a little different. Like you know, I don't really want another one. But I thought that this this was good, and having um, Chris Rock as a detective investigating uh, like a copycat because you know Jigsaw is dead. Spoiler. Uh, I, I think that that adds a, a different twist to it. You know, because I always I always go back to the original movie because I you know the original one I mean it was fresh, it was original and that's that's what I always think about when I, you know, go back to the think thinking about Saw movies. You know, Carrie Yule's in, in, in that role. And you know, he was just a guy, he was like a victim or whatever. 
versus this is where you know have a police officer investigating that so it kind of adds a different slant to things i saw like one um i don't know who said it but some review headline said that it borrows more from seven than it does from the saw movies and yeah okay you, you know that that i i'll buy that that i agree with that but it, it does add a, a nice twist to it because you know you do still have the elaborate gruesome traps set up and you know you, we do see them unfold and you are you know sitting there cringing and you know tr- trying not to look away or what or trying to watch or not watch or whatever so i i, I thought overall it, it was it was pretty good so what the story is is about uh so chris rock well i mean it, it starts off where we see this you know it's like fourth of july just fireworks and um this guy is just walking through this crowd or whatever some dude takes a woman's purse like in the crowd like bumps into her takes her purse runs so then like the, this guy that was walking through the crowd he's a cop he you know he's not on duty so he's like oh. so he starts chasing a dude and the guy ends up going down like a manhole like down below and he's like oh are you serious or whatever so he ends up going down there thankfully it wasn't like sewers you know there was like no like sewage water in there but it was like for like some i don't know what city this was supposed to be in but it was uh, there's like it's like subway tracks or something like that. So he's he's going there, and then uh, he sees the guy like sitting in a chair. So I'm gonna do some spoilers in the beginning, and you know because the guy was like wearing a hat, and he's like like turn around or get up, you know, dirtbag or, and then he like knocks the chair over, and it's someone it's like a mannequin with the hat. So at this point, I'd be like, hmm, this is a little suspicious. And I don't know at this point if the spiral was on the drawn on the wall or maybe. So then he ends up. Oh, now I'm, I'm trying to remember what happens. He ends up getting like knocked out because um, there's like someone wearing a pig mask that like comes up behind him. So when he comes to, he's like up standing on this like little thing, like barely standing on there, and he's got this device thing on his head, and it's like clamped on his tongue. So he's got this like big metal headpiece on. His his arms are tied behind his back with like barbed wire. And then uh, there's a TV set like in front of him. And then there's a kind of like a pig mask jigsaw person knows his name. He's like, "Hello, Detective Boswick." Whatever. He's like, "Would you like to play a game?" And so the the deal is, um, Boswick. Okay, I'm gonna spoil this this first part. So spoilers. So Boswick was a cop that apparently kind of lied a couple times on on the jury jury stand, and you know sent some people away that maybe should they have been or not. So because of his lying ways, the that's why he was abducted. So he has the choice of if he lets go or if he jumps off this little thing he's standing on, the, his tongue will get ripped off but then he'll be able to get off the tracks because there's a train coming. I don't know if I mentioned that. I did not mention that. So if, if he stands on there, he's going to get hit by the train and de- and he's, he's dead. But if he kind of jumps off this little tiny thing he's standing on, his to- he'll be hanging by his tongue. And his tongue will get ripped off. He won't have his tongue, but he'll still be alive. So that's the choice he has to make. And um, so just think about that. 
I mean, that's just like, at first I thought it, it was just going to like chop his, his tongue off. But if you think about it, hanging from your tongue, uh, that's just, it's just nasty business. And so you can imagine how things might go. And this is what leads to investigation. So this is when, when Chris Rock comes there. So then who is Chris Rock? His, his character. So his name is Zeke, Zeke Banks. Um, he's a, a police officer. His father was Sam Jackson, who was this like decorated police chief for a while. Uh, he's retired now. And uh, no one, a, a lot of like most of the other officers, they don't like Zeke. They don't like Chris Rock because he turned in a dirty cop. So, you know, we, we've seen this a lot of times where, you know, they call him a rat or whatever. But I, I don't know what, like, because I've never been in such like a brotherhood type of thing. It's like if, if you're a police officer, you know, you're dedicated to fighting the bad guys or whatever. And if someone's a dirty cop... I mean, are you just going to, it's like, oh, that's one of my brothers. Maybe he's straying a little bit, but that's okay. You know, if he's doing some illegal things or some wrong things or, you know, whether it's extorting or killing or, you know, whatever. I don't know if it makes a difference or there's any limits. But they're all mad at Chris Rock because he turned in a, a dirty cop. So does this mean that they're all dirty then? That they would rather side see it, it's the whole brotherhood thing. I, I don't get it. And we, we see like another, like a, a flashback scene where chris rock is uh chasing like some some perp or whatever and he's calling for backup and he's like calling and calling and you know we see some other guys that are just like you know they're, they're kind of nearby but they're like yeah whatever you know because they don't want to go and back them up and then the shooting starts chris rock ends up getting shot and then they're like oh crap and then like sam jackson comes and he is ticked off that you know because he he heard on the radio that he called uh, for backup and no one came and he's like i'm gonna find out who was the closest one and this one guy looks away and he just he goes off on him so um but and it, it turns out that the, the guy hanging by his tongue he was like friends with chris rock you know because chris rock um I, I don't know if he he's like i played with his kids or you know whatever you know because they went over there before chris rock got divorced or his character got divorced and everything like that. So, you know, this is like a personal thing that, you know, his friend was killed. So, you know, he really wants to take the lead on this and everything like that. Uh, Marisol Nichols is the, the new chief and everything like that. So, you know, she's trying to calm the waters when everyone's like against him and no one wants to listen to him and stuff like that. So that that's basically where, where the story goes. And then like other people start getting, like other officers start getting targeted and, and, and stuff like that. And then you start to wonder, it's like, why are these officers being targeted? You know, what, what's the deal? And then you start to see is like, does this have anything to do with Chris Rock? And, you know, then you start to, at, at one point, you know, I, I'm like, hmm, could the, you know, this killer person have this motives for this reason? But then as things kind of go by, then you're like, hmm, maybe it's this other person because the way, and I don't want to spoil this, but a certain something happens to this character. I was like, and we don't see the whole thing. So then I'm like, hmm. So you know, you, you got so that that's the nice thing about the movie is there's like a couple, couple, uh, not twists but setups like where you know you're not really sure what's going to happen. You know, once you find overall, okay, we we do get the reason for like the motives behind 
this I don't even know what, what they're calling this uh pig pig jigsaw jigsaw pig I don't know he must have some name but I, I don't know what, what they're calling him but you you find out the motives like what is all this about and um it makes sense it's 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 credible I, I buy that I'll accept it you know it, for what is going on here and then uh, the way the movie ends there is a potential for more. I, I mean, I don't think I know there's supposed to be is there supposed to be like a jigsaw or like a saw 10 coming out. So I don't know if they'll go from here. I, I it's probably going to really depend on how this movie does. Apparently, uh, let's see, according to Wikipedia, it has a 20 million budget. So it's just going to be a question of how much money will it make? You know, theaters are open now, but how many people are going to be going? You know, when I went to a Thursday night, seven o'clock showing, it was in a small theater. There weren't a lot of people there. So I, I don't know how it's going to do. And, you know, could we get a sequel? I, I'd, I'd be down with it because, you know, there's more of a story to be told. And I, you know, I, I think they did a good job here. You know, with, with the, the different traps that you see, they're pretty elaborate. And I don't know how original they are compared to all, I, I can't even imagine how many countless traps there's been in, in the other eight movies. But they were they were gruesome, and you know, I I I enjoyed it for overall. So I don't know why people didn't like the movie so much, but I I thought it was fine, and and you know I'm not overly invested in the Saw franchise, and I don't even know how how the other movies compare. That you know, are they all great, or does it kind of get like weak after a while, redundant and? So I, I enjoyed it. I was entertained, and I, I'm glad I went to the theater. You know, it was it was a nice experience. You know, and and being in a smaller, you know, not crowded theater was was good. And you know, theater. I know theater. Most theaters are like 50 percent capacity or 20. You know, so you know you're not going to be in a crowded theater for a while. So I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. It was worth watching. You know, and, and it's like 90 minutes, 93 minutes, or something like that. So it, it was good. Uh, it had a nice pacing, and Chris Rock was was good as this like bitter kind of angry cop, but also sarcastic like and sarcastic funny at times. So, you know, you, you get a taste of that. Uh, Sam Jackson w- was good in his role. doesn't have like a super huge role, but you know, he was good in it as well. And uh, uh, he also had, Chris Rock has this other partner played by Max Ming- Mingel, Mingela. He's a, uh, he was pretty good. He was, he was credible in the role as a, like a new rookie, you know, partner that he gets stuck with, and so it's it's good. Uh, if if you're looking for something along the lines of the Saw movies, you know, something kind of gruesome. And I always kind of joke, or not always, but you know, <laughs> with uh, these type of movies, you know, as as miserable as your life might be, or as like not as upbeat or happy. I mean, hey, at least you're not. <laughs> Not, it's getting stuck in one of these jigsaw traps and so you know things could be worse <laughs> and uh you know this podcast could be could this podcast be worse it probably could be worse but it won't be and to make sure it's not worse i'm gonna stop rambling and that is gonna be another episode so go see spiral the book of saw it, it's it's enjoyable but big thanks to david mcphail and andrew loken because they are big supporters of the show you can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanformech. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. 
And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I usually talk about comic books. Sometimes I talk about movies. I just talked about 12 issues of the vision and the Scarlet, Witch. I might talk about one more, or I might talk about a movie, which I'm not going to, it'll be a surprise. Um, I haven't seen it yet, so I need to like watch that like now if I'm going to record that episode. So we'll see. Um, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you could also help out by going to coffee.com and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. And that is ko-fi.com slash gmanformec. Okay, so what is going to be next week? Next week is going to be Army of the Dead. Is that what it's called? The Zack Snyder movie. And... Um, Modoc comes out next Friday too, but maybe Sam, I, I, I hate, I don't like when stuff comes out on Friday because it's hard for me to watch all that and record and edit and all, all everything by Sunday night. Because, you know, I also have a weekend. I also have, you know, may have grading and stuff to do. So I don't know if I'm going to talk about Modoc next week, I might just save all of Modoc for the following week. So that would be episode 196. I, I really, I'm hesitant about that because that's like over a week. It'll be out for over a week before I talk about it. But that will also give you time to watch all of it. Cause I was there going to be eight episodes, I think. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But then if I do that, then Modoc can be the feature for the, the following week. So next week would be army of the dead. The following week would be, whatchamacallit would be Modoc. And then after that, it might be Lisey's story. That's a Stephen King book. That's gonna be it's a, so there's gonna be a movie on June fourth on Apple TV Plus. And um, I started listening to the audiobook. It turns out I had the audiobook in my Audible library for years, but I guess I never listened to it because I, I started listening to it and I don't remember this story. And I'm not really sure how this is going to be. It's like, where is this even going? It's like, okay. So uh, that might be the next few weeks. But as you know, a lot of times other things pop up. That Angelina Jolie movie came out uh, last Friday. And um, maybe I'll, I don't know if I'll watch that at some point and maybe I'll talk about it. I don't know if that's like a f podcast feature type movie. So I don't know. I mean, it could be really good. I haven't watched it as I record this, but uh, maybe I'll talk about it soon. If I, I don't know when I watch it, but that's going to be uh, this week's podcast. So then all the other shows that are coming back or returning that haven't gone away yet. Um, Cause I think their nevers is, is halfway done the season. So I don't know how long that'll be, but I will be back next week and I hope you will be back too. So thank you for listening. I hope everything's going well. I feel if you have the opportunity, I feel you should get vaccinated. Um, that's my belief. I'm not going to force my beliefs on you, but uh, like I said, you know, I haven't really talked about it. I've been double vaccinated since March and I had like no real ill effects. I just a tiny bit tender, a tiny bit um, tired on the second one, but I didn't get sick or anything like that. And it's, it's a good feeling you know, knowing that you're safe and, that's my belief. So, you know, take care of yourself. And that's the important thing. Take care of yourself and others and make sure you be good to each other. 